if I'm Sage, I'm sitting here looking at Gene, who is his golden child, and I'm walking around and all I have is a piece of lingerie and on the back it's written, I was sex trafficked as a teenager by Charles Xavier and all I got was this stupid corset. X-Men, X-Men. In the 21st century, people mutants led by Magneto aim to destroy the world. Only hope is X-Men. Welcome to Cerebro, the X-Men podcast where a homo and his friends dig deep into the history of Homo Superior. I'm your host, Connor Goldsmith, and with me today is artist Valentine Smith. Valentine is here with me to talk about Sage, the X-Men's living computer, initially known as Sebastian Shaw's personal aide Tessa before a whole lot of very confusing retcons. So this one <laughs> is going to be a fun character file. Valentine, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. We're going to talk about my favorite X-Men. <laughs> I love that Sage is your favorite X-Men because the beauty of this podcast is finding people yeah. whose favorite is a character. People go like her, like sort of Arrested Development style. I thing. like Sage a lot, but it's, you know, she's certainly not A-list. See, that's the thing. I love... I love Sage so much that I don't let people know that Sage is my favorite X-Man a lot of times. Because you're not willing to listen to criticism of Sage <laughs> that will no doubt arise. Well, I get, always get the like, her? Really? And like people, I I will talk shit about Emma Frost till the cows come home. But like, so a lot of people think that Emma is my favorite, but it's actually Sage. <laughs> Sage is so precious to you that you cannot possibly have a real conversation with her about someone who's not on your level. Yeah, I'm, and I don't think I really don't think there's a lot out there. Like, like there, there's like three people that care about Sage, and I am two of them. You know, the other one is Chris Claremont. Yeah, so he's unless not, we're you're... not going to have the same opinions. <laughs> yeah, did you see that he saw your most recent art piece? By the way, no. Which one? The one with Kitty and Rachel. Oh. <laughs> He commented on it on Facebook. Really? <laughs> he was just like, he. I think he said, oh, for God's sake. And I was like, he probably doesn't. I think I was like, he probably doesn't like Rachel's hair because it's like too butch. That's my that's my guess. Oh, my God. That's hilarious. But it made me laugh. And he wrote it as O-F-G-S or something. And people had to like translate. It was just <laughs> so it was like, like an acronym no one had ever seen before. And it was like, yeah. oh, for God's sake. Yeah. Oh, my God. That's hilarious. Love Chris Claremont. He is. Yeah. My shining star in terms of all of the things I imprinted on like a baby bird that I'm yeah. only now unpacking psychologically as oh, an adult. Sure. But he is very much a cranky 70-year-old man. Oh, yeah. But I thought you might like to know that That's hilarious. That Chris saw your hot Leslie fan art. I will tell my dad and he will be like, oh, that's nice. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like Chris Claremont seeing something you do with his characters and vaguely disapproving of it is, is like, a real mark of... Yeah. Yeah. I need that on my bingo card, like crossed off, like did it. Yeah. Man, great. <laughs> well, I feel like that's very much like the dawn now reign of X, right? It's like they're mm -hmm. constantly doing these beautiful homages to Chris Claremont and then someone will interview him and he'll be like, it fucking sucks. And <laughs> I you're hate like, it. Yeah. He's and like, you're like, great, I hate it. Right. Those characters would never do that if I were writing them. And it's like, well, <laughs> we understand that. But, yeah. you know. And it's fine because he's going to get to do a Legends arc, which presumably yeah. will be like the bloody best origin story or something. And we'll yeah. all just, you know, I bought that Marvel made insanely <laughs> big, priced hardcover because like, I'm a mark and I was yeah. like, I'll do it. I'll do it. And so I'll let everybody know what's up with bloody best in the days of future past whenever right. that ships because uh, <laughs> I know that we're all 
gagging to know. Bloody Bess, for those of you who aren't aware, is maybe an alternate reality Betsy Braddock, but she's a platinum blonde and a space pirate, and she dated Nightcrawler for a while in Chris Claremont's 2014 Nightcrawler ongoing. She's perhaps like, if Sage, who we're going to get to, is the character you think is like a peak Claremont dame, Mm -hmm. Bloody Bess is sort of that taken to 11 in a way that I find very funny. Yeah, it's almost like a parody of his own characters, and so I actually kind of find her endearing in that way because it's taken to that to that heightened level of Chris. It's like it's Psylocke, but also she's an <laughs> evil space pirate. How funny is it? Like, because he did he did that with Sage too. Like, how funny right. is it that like they're like like evil like blonde counterparts? <laughs> like- yeah, Diana Fox is the oh, same yeah. kind of thing. Plus, honestly. X-Men The End, he made Sage this really scary villain in the alternate future he came up with. So yeah. he loves that stuff. That's yeah. like, he's 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 really into that. Anyway, point is, we love Chris. This is probably going to be a podcast all about affectionately making fun a little bit of our comics father, Chris Claremont. Oh, yeah. Whom we adore, but also Sage is an insane character in I a way that I really enjoy, mess. but... She's a complete mess. An absolute mess. This isn't a correction, but I do feel like it's an oversight. I meant to mention in the Rogue episode the incredible retcon that they do at the Sentry's funeral. If you're not familiar with the Sentry, he's an Avengers character who's sort of like a Superman homage. But the gimmick was that all of the Marvel Universe had forgotten him. So they fill him in in old stories and stuff. And that was sort of the idea. I don't really care about the Sentry because he's an Avengers character. But the (laughs) one really um, funny bit, and a lot of people were furious about this, but I thought it was so funny, was at his funeral, Rogue gets really upset and starts talking about the beautiful night they spent together. Oh, and like okay. the implication being that like the Sentry was her first lover, which is extremely funny, but <laughs> that's hilarious. Has never been mentioned again, but I think it's enormously funny. It's just like he is so because oh every God. story people tell about him is like, remember when the Sentry saved the world and whatnot. And Rogue is like, remember when the Sentry and I made love when I couldn't touch anybody? And it's just oh my God. Like, <laughs> it's very very You're funny. Cutting like. <laughs> yeah i mean oh, i have to assume man. they just did like hand stuff because it is canon that gambit's her first uh intercourse experience but she did something with magneto in the savage land too so like something happened there There's something no happened there before the zaladane incident yeah i would love to see you do a lorna and zaladane image by the way right because i love the fun. way you draw lorna and i'm a big zaladane head someday yeah. i will write the Zaladane ongoing for Marvel I'm like in 2060 yeah. when there are 500 X-Men titles because of the success <laughs> of the current X-Men run. Yeah. I am currently on like, I'm, I feel myself like starting to slip into like a Lorna kick where I'm just like, I've noticed I'm, and I'm a fan. <laughs> and to be real, if we want to talk about it, um, I did not expect to be thinking about Betsy Braddock this much ever well when they (laughs) fixed her i think it oh the cbr people are going to be in my email again but when they (laughs) because there are so many people who are mad that i that i am glad they put betsy back in her original body that's actually hers Uh, yeah it's great i'm not sorry it's great it fixed the character after i was embarrassed that she was my favorite for a really long time because of all the mess around her yeah and now I am completely unashamed to wave my Braddock Manor flag, except in so far as like I'm loving this landed gentry noble family that's like British monarchy aristocracy. But you know what? It's fine. They're yeah. fictional. Yeah. 
And they voted remain. So <laughs> yes. that's canon. Brian was a remainer. Yes. Good for Brian. Good for him. That's growth, right? Because yeah. you have to assume he was a Tory back in the day when he was dating Courtney, because Courtney is like the Tory queen oh, of God, London. Yeah. Banker Courtney Ross. I love Courtney Ross. She's a mess, too. <laughs> I also love Courtney Ross. I'm really excited to see whatever Teeny is going to do with Saturnine and Courtney and Saturnine mm, and yep. whatever other myriad Saturnines await us in the multiverse. But to get back to you, yes. Valentine right. Smith, which is a cool name. Valentine Smith actually is a name that Chris Claremont would give to <laughs> a, she'd be like a plucky, not a reporter, but it would be like oh Manoli Weatherall. Yeah. It would be like oh one of those God. characters. Yeah. Where, like, they just pop up now and then. Like, it, it would... Manoli Weatherell, Moira McTaggart. Like, these characters who are humans who just help out. Stevie Hunter. They're like, they the have these sort of punchy of names. Members. Valentine Smith would be, like, a police detective <laughs> or something. You know what I mean? Yeah, right. Right. Oh, my gosh. And we'd all be like, oh, I love Valentine Smith. Like, you know, I don't love the cops, but Valentine's great. And then she would have to, like, Renee Montoya and become a private detective. And then Mm -hmm. they would reveal she was a mutant because Chris would bring her back, like, 20 years later. Of course. It would be one of those. It would be one of those things. But to get back to you, Valentine. Valentine Smith is a fabulous artist. I am wearing her Madeline Pryor band t-shirt right now, which is a deeply prized possession of mine already (laughs) having only had it a few weeks it looks like it's fresh off the inferno tour at radio city is what it looks like to me i love that i was like god damn it i didn't think of inferno like tour that was if you do another print run you could put that on the back like inferno tour with dates yeah that would be cute that's what i was yeah yeah And for those of you who love, as a listener called it, the Moments with Maddie segment on this podcast that just keeps (laughs) happening, Sage actually factors into Madeline's storyline in X-Man in the 90s. So we will get there. In the meanwhile, Valentine, I'd love to hear your origin story with the X-Men. You're clearly a big fan. I would love to know how you got into these characters, how you came to comics generally, and what your sort of deal is, and then (laughs) why Sage is your favorite and you wanted to talk about Sage. Because when you asked me if we could talk about Sage, I was like, absolutely. Because to be perfectly honest, Mm -hmm. I had set Sage aside in case Chris Claremont ever wanted to come on this podcast. But I, yeah. I had to weigh it in my head. I was like, the likelihood seems small that I'll actually get Chris mm-hmm. on the pod. So I feel like let's let Valentine do this. And Chris Claremont, if you're listening and you ever want to come on the pod, we can talk about Sage again. Frankly, we could talk about anything you want. I'll do three hours on Stevie Hunter. Like, you just call me. Have your people call my people. <laughs> I don't have people. It's just me. Call yeah. me. We'll make it happen. But I couldn't imagine many other people would want to talk about Sage. So I was like, yes, nope. let's do it. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I put that out there and I was like, ha because usually when I mention Sage, people are like, ha and then they walk away. And you were like, okay, let's do this. And I was like, okay, let's do this. Let's go. I've been training my whole life for this Sage conversation. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, so I got into comics through my dad. Um, he has been into comics since the 70s and the 80s. Like, yeah. the, the X-Men were his book, like. He's been into it for the longest time. So I think I don't know the exact like thing that started it. I think there were a couple of things where I'd seen something X-Men like the animated series was on at the time. Right. And like that had come on or I'd seen something else. I had older cousins who were into the X-Men because my dad was into the X-Men. So there were a lot of things that came together that he went, oh, like I recognize that you are into this thing. And when I was little, like he would read me bedtime stories and instead of reading me like 
other stuff, he would read me like a comic of X-Men. I'm obsessed with that. Or like half of a comic because I needed to go to the fuck to bed. Um, so like I remember the first one <laughs> he read me was the one where Wolverine gets his adamantium ripped off his skeleton. <laughs> In Fatal Attractions. Fatal Attractions, yeah. So like... Brutal. I'm young. <laughs> yeah, that's 93. <laughs> yeah, so like... I'm young and he's like you know what's a good one to start with this one where like this man is being like obliterated <laughs> like yeah and Magneto is just standing there like pulling it out of him and he's like okay time for bed and I'm like great that's good <laughs> but this is also like the guy who like would put on horror movies like during the day when like I was eating lunch so <laughs> it know. sounds like we have very similar dads in terms of their interests so I yeah. enjoy that oh great I love that <laughs> Yeah. My dad's like a big B-horror movies and like mm-hmm. X-Men comics kind of guy. Like that's sort of his deal. Yeah, that's a lot of what I like grew up on. So like I was into comics then and I was like super into them and he would get um he would we had our local comic store and he would get um Wizard in the previews, right? Mm-hmm. So then he would get it first and then when he was done with it, I would get it afterward to look at. And, like, the wizards, I couldn't take apart. But the previews, which were, like, once he got his orders in or whatever, he would give me the previews and I could tear the previews apart. Ah. Because before the land of, like, the internet being everything is accessible and stuff, like, I would pull that stuff and, like, make folders of, like, people and costumes and, like, references and stuff. (laughs) Like, legitimate, like, old school, just, like, stacked pages of, like, reference. Yeah. Because I like to draw. I wasn't good at it at all, but... (laughs) I tried. Well, you're very good at it now, so clearly practice I'm made doing perfect. Okay. I would love to see you on some variant covers or something. I think Marvel the should. Dream. Yeah. <laughs> I think Marvel should make that happen. They're open now to more because your style is different from mm-hmm. sort of the superhero comic style. But yeah. Peach Momoko is doing interiors now. Yeah. Like they're they're opening themselves up to to different kind of stuff. I think Which at I very love. least, I oh, I love Peach Momoko, yeah. but at the very I'm very excited for the Psylocke comic that she's doing yeah even if interiors are a little bold for your like crust punk (laughs) x-men yeah at the moment but who knows the x-men are only getting gayer week to week ideal ideal situation (laughs) but i feel like they could get you to do some covers i don't know if anyone's listening at the x office i think she'd be very good you know you have my my telephone they don't have my telephone they have my well but i have all your info now so they can call me they know me they have my stuff I yeah. bother them all all the time. Love it. To try and get them to do my podcast. So Fantastic. they're like, oh, it's this guy again. <laughs> <laughs> I so, love it. So you gathered these like fact files so that you could use them as reference for drawing. Oh, yeah. That came that came like a little bit later. But yeah, 100%. I had like, and if you went back and like looked at them now, like, come on. I knew I was queer very early on. Big same. And X-Men will tell you if you don't know. Yeah, exactly. Like, so I had, like, all these references of, like, women in fishnets. <laughs> and it's like, come on, you didn't catch on? Like, I don't know. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. I I really love, because my, my dad had all, like, his stuff in long boxes. And, like, once I remember being taught how to read a comic so you wouldn't tear the pages. Like, mm-hmm. I remember that distinctly. And, like, when I was little, too, he would... For the kids, comic paper used to be extremely terrible. Oh, so terrible. And he's like, these are old. (laughs) Don't break them. You're seven. Good luck. (laughs) Um, uh, So we would go in, and he would get, like, his comics, and then I was allowed allowed to get one series. Like, so I would get one comic a month. I had to pick a series 
and like I could get one. And one of those series that like clearly has a soft spot in my heart now is was Extreme X Men. So mm-hmm. like, so you're a bit younger. How old are you? I'm 27. Oh wow, baby. Yeah. I mean, I'm only six years older than you but i you know but i was just thinking about it because like extreme x-men was coming out i was in high school already so it's just a little bit of a of a gap there but i'm slightly yeah 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 no but i love that for you because you had the experience i didn't have which was the x-men comics that were coming out when you were a kid were really good yeah because like extreme's not my favorite but morrison was coming out at that time Mm -hmm. and extreme was coming out and extreme is perfectly good X-Men comics. Like yeah. it's 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 good as yeah. much as one can, you know, it's certainly my favorite post 91 Claremont joint. Yeah. For I sure. think it's him most in his stuff. element, feeling sort of yeah. most on top of it and in his vibe. Yeah, the, uh, unfortunately the Austin run was also coming out, but I feel like oh, you could God. just yeah. choose not to read that. <laughs> See, I like well, the whole reason that I cuz he was like, "Okay, you love X-Men, like I'm going to get you an X-Men book." Um the Morrison run was coming out right at the same time, and right. I was still like pretty young. And he's like, nope, "No, not that you're one. not reading that, right? Yeah, no, that's <laughs> yeah, not like, appropriate for children." Claremont? You love Claremont. You love the Dark Phoenix saga. You love right. And I'm like, "Yeah, that sounds." Who great. doesn't love Let's Storm? Go. Look, she's on the cover. She's yeah. the star, right? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And it was the first time anyone had done anything with Storm since he left. I mean, Cl- Claremont left, and Storm got essentially tossed to the bottom of the yeah. heap for like all of the 90s and then he came back and extreme was kind of her big return to yeah. prominence uh, yeah it's not they're not bad comics <laughs> no they're just not as good yeah. as the old claremont stuff but it's kind of like forcing someone to it's like it's like play free bird like you can't force someone to yeah. play only their classic hits and there's point. like really good moments in these books that like I absolutely adore. You know, I I do love the Morrison run. Um, I love what they did. Um, I definitely like remember. <laughs> I remember there was this place that you could go that it was like a used bookstore, um, and you could get trade paperbacks for five dollars sometimes, right? Nice. So like I we went in there and I was able to get all of the Morrison run. And this is like a little bit later. So this is like after this has all been out. So I had no idea what what I was like walking into. Right. This is like 0405 ish probably. Yeah. Yeah. So like I, it was like the 4th of July. And I remember because everybody was watching a movie and I'm sitting back on like behind the couch reading these comics. Reading like E is for extinction and like your brain's exploding. (laughs) I was like, oh my God, Emma Frost is sleeping with Scott Summers. (laughs) Like it like, I, I was like in, I was like, oh my God, this is so scandalous you know right deeply scandalous yeah so like i was i'm into that whole like everything and then there's the crossover between them so like suddenly all this stuff started making sense of like emma's over here it's actually the sage plots where they cross over it is which i absolutely adore because it's the murder in the mansion arc Mm -hmm. where emma is apparently killed and sage and bishop come to do their csi thing which is that's my favorite Sage issue. Like, no oh. disrespect to Chris Claremont, no, but Morrison Sage in that one two-parter is so good. Those comics are probably, they're probably one of my most, like, comfort, like, most more recent comfort stories yeah. that, like, I will reread Murder at the Mansion, like, any day of the week. Because the art is beautiful. The well, Phil Jimenez, I mean, <laughs> listen, he's a friend of mine, so yeah. I'm very, like, biased. But in part, he's a friend of mine because... I worship his art. He's my favorite contemporary comics artist. And I say contemporary, but that story is almost 20 years old now. 
he's been at this since he was very young. Yeah. And he draws the most beautiful women in particular, I think, like in the world. I'm going to be very real. Sage has not looked better since those comics. Ever since those two issues. No one has. That's the best Jean Grey's ever looked. That's the best Emma has ever looked. And it's in the outfit, which I like the new X-Men outfit. I understand not everyone likes the new X-Men outfit. I love it. Phil makes that outfit look like high fashion couture, which is what mm-hmm. it's supposed to look like. It's not supposed to look trashy. It's supposed yeah. to look very expensive. It's yes. just she's naked, but it's very expensive naked. Yeah. And it's the you can try and touch me. Like, yeah, you can't it. actually. I will kill you. You can look, but don't touch, which is yep. very Emma. I think that they're doing that well in Marauders now, where she'll just yes. be like walking around in a bra and panties talking to Callisto. And it's like, but it's very clear you cannot possibly touch mm-hmm. this person there is there is a bubble around it if you <laughs> yeah. enter it you are instantly repelled exactly like, like, like you work. will explode like yeah. it's yeah like you've been set to to disintegrate mm-hmm. but yeah I, I mean and then the other story that crosses over is the elias bogan stuff yes i love that stuff which is all about sage and we'll get to that but my thing with extreme was i think a lot of people hate on extreme for the, the criticisms of it are often for a very specific set of reasons. One is nobody likes lifeguard and slipstream. <laughs> yeah, sure. And the thing is, though, those characters don't last that long. They're only in, like, maybe, I don't know, five to ten issues, maybe? Like, slipstream in particular is barely in the book. Lifeguard's yeah. only in it, I want to say, for, like, 20 issues max. Yeah. And then he writes them out. And yeah. people didn't like Neil Shara. Mm-hmm. But I think he's good. I think that it, the problem was just like the Thunderbird code name exactly. as a joke. Because it's like, he's he's the new Thunderbird, but he's the other kind of Indian. It's like, it's a one note joke. Yeah. It doesn't really make sense. Yes. And it annoyed like Warpath fans. Like, so yeah. it's just, you set him up to fail. I think if you brought back Neil Shara with a new code name, he'd yes. be... Actually give him a story and time to shine and like... <laughs> and know. just like pull up some reference photos of Sendel Ramamurthy. He would be one of the hottest guys in X-Men, in my opinion. Yeah, absolutely. And again, he's not there for that long, really, either. That's the other thing. Like, he's not around that long either. It's the new characters people had a problem with. Yeah. Sage was the other one. Now, Sage yes, is really. not a new character, really, because she's Tessa, who's been around since the Dark Phoenix saga. But... She's basically a new character. I mean, he reinvents her from the ground up, retcons an entirely new backstory for her, mm-hmm. retroactively inserts her into the 60s X-Men stories, yeah, and that. makes her a really important character in the lore of the X-Men in a yeah. way that she wasn't before. But she is a pre-existing character, and I think Claremont's always been very good at that, at taking a character who was minor and suddenly oh, you had no idea, but this character matters and making them feel like they matter. And I remember reading Extreme as it was coming out and I was like 13, 14 and thinking Sage was awesome Mm -hmm. because I knew who Tessa was. I had read the 80s stuff and I was like, this adds a whole new context to those stories. And it didn't feel like a bad context. Like when you go back, because I don't think he planned this when he was writing the 80s stories because he's not yeah. that kind of writer. There's some, really. there's some funkiness. But and there are enough. some funky ones that, yeah, the character file will get into the <laughs> moments that don't make any sense. But yeah. if you're not familiar with the character, basically the rundown is 
Tessa is introduced as Sebastian Shaw's personal assistant. Sebastian Shaw is the black king of the Hellfire Club. She wears black lingerie and a cape and follows him around and is his secretary, basically. And she's vaguely telepathic, but it's not really clear what her powers are. But she's very, very smart. And that's <laughs> sort of the, the gist. It's a lot of Sebastian yelling, Tessa, analysis. And then, then she's like, uh, it's 72 degrees. I don't know. You know? Right. But as the 80s go on and the, the Hellfire Club gets recontextualized because of Magneto's relationship with them and Storm's relationship with them and eventually Magneto and Storm joining the inner circle to forge a truce, it's Tessa who starts that process. She offers the X-Men sanctuary after the whole Nimrod incident yep. where they're both attacked by Nimrod. She's like, listen, I offer you the Hellfire Club's protection. You don't need to trust me, but like, come with me if you want to live, essentially. Yeah, pretty much. She also is the one who takes Donald Pierce away after, in graphic novel number four that introduces the New Mutants, Xavier remands Pierce to Tessa's custody. So there are these little moments where even though they don't trust Tessa, she's clearly the one who's willing to work with them. And a couple times she suggests something that ends up, as it happens, really helping the X-Men out. So mm -hmm. in Extreme X-Men in 2001, well, first, before that, Claremont's on the main titles again for a minute because of the revolution <laughs> thing that did second, not yeah. Yeah, work. And there's that thing I've mentioned a couple times called the six-month gap where the story jumps ahead six months and all kinds of stuff is established to have happened in the gap. One of the things that happens in the gap is Tessa randomly is now one of the X-Men and calls herself Sage. Yeah. And everyone reading it was like, Tessa from the Hellfire Club? If they even remembered who she was. Yeah. Because like, she hadn't oh, been around she... in a while. Right. Yeah. But she was a character that Claremont, like the ones we were mentioning earlier, like mm -hmm. Stevie Hunter or Manoli Weatherell, where they would just pop up because they were supporting characters of his that he liked and that he would work them into stories. But Shaw had been de-emphasized over the course of the 90s, and so Tessa had similarly been de-emphasized because her loyalty was to him and not to the club. Yep. What Claremont establishes in 2001, when he brings her over, basically his relaunch of the books, as I've mentioned before, did not do well. They pivoted the books into the big relaunch with Morrison, and as sort of a consolation prize, they gave Claremont a new title, Mm -hmm. where he could do basically anything he wanted. And they <laughs> let him take his favorite characters. So he took Storm, he took Kitty, he took Rogue, he took Psylocke, and he took Sage, who he establishes very quickly in a retcon, met Xavier before any of the original X-Men did. Love it. She, <laughs> she is the one who, in the 60s, when Lucifer, a character you truly don't need to worry about, crushed his legs and left him paralyzed... She is the person who rescued him in the Hindu Kush as a young teenager who was out on her own with like a rifle surviving in the wilderness. And when he started the X-Men, he decided that she would have a different role and he didn't introduce any of them to her. I love it so much. <laughs> Yeah. It's like kind of gimmicky, but I don't care. It's it's gimmicky as hell and it's an obvious retcon, but it really yeah. does work. Unlike for example Astra, the creator of Joseph, who's retconned into the original Brotherhood of Evil yeah. Mutants and you're just yeah. like this doesn't work. Yeah. Tessa being this character really works. Basically what's established is that Xavier had Tessa go deep undercover as his spy in the Hellfire Club because he knew that Sebastian Shaw was going to become a major player in mutant politics and wanted someone in deep cover embedded at his side to relay information. 
And the thing that's really fucked up about this is that Shaw is fucking Tessa. Mm-hmm. Very clearly mm-hmm. for most of the classic stories. Yeah. So it's bad. I mean, he basically he sends this 17, 18 year old <sighs> right, girl. Okay. I was going to get your opinion on that because I always thought she was younger. Like, you know, she's older than the 05, I think, yeah. by a couple years. Yeah, but just by a hair. Yeah, because yeah. the yeah. well, the flashback to the Hindu Kush mm-hmm. says about 20 years ago. Yeah. So if we assume that she's now like in her 30s, then she's maybe 14, 15 there. I think she's clearly supposed to be like a kid surviving on her own. Yeah. And that's when his legs are just are crushed. So X-Men 1 is like in universe, let's say five years later. So she's maybe like 18, 19. Yeah. When he sends her to the club. Yeah. Yes. Right. (laughs) Right. Like, it's legal. Technically, but at what cost? <laughs> at what cost? And Claremont establishes this in, like, the ninth issue of Extreme. Yep. Via the character of Lifeguard, who we don't have to talk about. <laughs> Just vaguely. Well, it's like Lady Mastermind. Ugh, I love this so much. I love Lady Mastermind. I've become a real Lady Mastermind head since rereading the carry run. Mm-hmm. Um. I want Lady Mastermind on. They just announced Way of X, the new yes. Size Sprayer Nightcrawler oh book. And I yes. am desperate after Giant Size Nightcrawler, like, put Lady Mastermind in that book. I want Lady Mastermind and Kurt having weird adventures together. Yeah. Him, right? And him just, like, fucking hating Lady Mastermind. But it's like a buddy comedy. I would really enjoy yeah. that. Give me all that character drama. I'm like, that's what I'm ready for. <laughs> and we know he likes a weird blonde. I mean, that is kind of a thing for him. Yeah, so that's true. That could be fun. I mean, and she's not his sister. I'm a big Amanda Sefton head, but <laughs> I understand why people shy away from that these days. Way of X, though, does make me think that Margali Sardash is going to factor in because she's, of course, Margali of the Winding Way, right? right. Walk the way with me. Right. I hope. Anyway. I won't sue if any of these ideas make it into the book, as is my standard disclaimer. If the ex-office ever listens to any of these episodes, they are welcome to steal literally anything I suggest, or more likely, they've already thought of it. I'm just saying. Probably. We're not. That's a thing. There are legal concerns sometimes. Anything I ever say on this podcast is fair game. Please never worry about if you ever think, oh, that's a good idea. Please steal it. I will love it. (laughs) I, I love to see it. It's an the point honor is just to be involved. <laughs> <laughs> it's an honor just to be nominated. Yeah. So Xavier sends Tessa to be Shaw's concubine. Mm-hmm. It's later established by Claremont in his uncanny run a couple years Gosh. later that <laughs> Tessa had also saved Shaw's life in the Hindu Kush, and that's I don't when like that. <laughs> Shaw and Xavier met. I, it gets really messy, really confusing, and it. You, I don't feel like. It makes sense. It doesn't. In her character, it doesn't. It's not like she was... I, I don't know how anybody else read it, but I read it as like, I'm here, I'm doing this thing, but I don't like you. I don't like Shaw. Like, I don't want like to be here. Like, but you know. I think part of it was people pointed out in Extreme that there are a lot of issues in the 80s and 90s where she really does like Shaw. Yeah. So it's one of those things where it's like, it doesn't quite make sense. And you gotta pick one. part of that is <laughs> Stockholm syndrome right? Like yeah, at a certain yeah, exactly. point, she's been there for years. Well, okay, this is the thing, is that, yeah, she has been there for years, and there's all this thing, like, just stuff that has been skimmed over that is maybe like, oh, like, we know she was there, we know she, like, interacted with these people, but 
there's years of history that aren't talked about at all. Like right when Emma was evil, Tessa yeah. was there, and she they were doing the evil worst, stuff together. The worst right. of Emma Frost. Like, yeah, she like saw a lot of shit. <laughs> yeah, the hardest thing to reconcile, and in extreme, they address it directly. Mm-hmm. Storms like. Sage, do you ever think about what would have happened if you could have saved Jean from oh, becoming God, Dark I Phoenix? Yeah. And Tessa's like, I think about it all the time. You know, I wish I could have done she more. She does not forget, period. Wait, she has a photographic memory that's yeah. part of her power. Because the power that Claremont establishes for her in extreme when it's like, okay, let's actually establish mm-hmm. what's her deal, is she is a telepath, but most of the time she has it turned off because she turns it inward to create like a firewall around her brain so that she's completely immune to telepathy. Yeah. And her other thing is that she's a cyberpath is what they call it, which is not the same as a technopath like Trinary who controls machines. (laughs) Her brain functions like a computer. So she has perfect recall. She thinks at the speed of a computer processor. Mm -hmm. She can analyze everything with computer precision and that's her deal so when she has a good computer system she's terrifying but she doesn't actually like control it with her power oh my god she's like the queen of self-sabotage like yeah if she can if she's functioning like all cylinders go like great but like she's keeps walking into these situations where she's like yeah i can do this because logically she knows she can do this except she hasn't gone to therapy she hasn't dealt with any of this shit and it keeps coming back and she's yeah. like why do i keep failing at this and it's like honey you need to talk to it's somebody like, hun you became a deep cover agent sex slave at 18 and before that yeah. you were a refugee on your own on your own murdering bandits in the hindu kush yeah and her whole thing is that like that comes back to like her initial origin backstory is like she killed all these people right and it was because they were it was because they raped a woman and murdered people and then she was like before even thinking about it like she just shot them all in the head yeah because logically she was like 10 steps ahead like a computer she's like okay you are a rapist and murderer therefore i have decided you should die and before it's even really a thought she's just taken them all out yeah my favorite thing about that is that's that's toward the end of extreme x-men that we finally see that scene and Elias Bogan, who we'll get to, but he's sort of her tormentor. He Mm -hmm. has done terrible, terrible things to her. And it's the big plot where they face off against him. It's sort of the final arc almost of Extreme X-Men. His big trump card is like showing the X-Men Sage murdering all these rapist murdering bandits. Yeah. And the X-Men immediately just go, who cares? Yeah, Bishop goes, we've all done that. It's we've all fine. done that. Rogue even says, Rogue's like, that's why Storm tapped us to be the extreme X-Men. Like, every single person on this team has killed lots of people. Yeah. And Bogan's just like, but don't you think she's evil? And they're all just like, no. He didn't even cut out the part where they raped and murdered those women. Yeah. So, like, why? Like, it's not even, he doesn't even make it look like. Yeah. I mean, it's like, okay, if you don't believe in killing anybody, but these guys, quite honestly, could have used some killing if you're at all into the idea of killing anybody. Also, she's like 14 and on her own. She's like, a kid. And like, the thing is, too, is that like, if we think about it, like her mutant abilities must have activated like sometime in the recent past, you know? So yeah. like, all of a sudden she went from like being one way to all of a sudden her brain is like functioning yeah when xavier meets her he can sense yeah her because he can't read her mind Mm -hmm. because she already has the firewall up 
mm-hmm. which tells you a lot about how she's been living. Yeah. And he's like, I need you to help me. And she's like, no, you don't. Help makes you weak. Mm-hmm. You're not weak. You're just hurt. Yeah, and she makes him like fend that. for himself, even though he's been paralyzed like <laughs> hours earlier. <laughs> yeah. She's just like, you're not weak. You're hurt. It's fine. <laughs> but what I do like is that then when we see him training her, it's a great line. He says like, my X-Men are superheroes. Like oh. their lives will be ones of honor. Your life test will be defined by your ability to betray. I love that. And that's core to her. <laughs> yeah. And lifeguard when she perceives that because she's never met xavier and lifeguard who's like walking through sage's memories is like that's professor xavier it's hard to believe any of these people ever followed someone who's such an asshole and it's like it is kind of hard to believe that sometimes like because he is a dick but it's one of those cases where like i don't i've said this before i hate deadly genesis yeah i hate when xavier is evil like mustache twirling evil i like an xavier who isn't conscious of the fact that he's a bad guy Mm -hmm. particularly in how he treats these children and with tessa it's very clear that because when he met her she was very mature for her age and he saw her kill people the way i read it is he doesn't want gene meeting tessa oh okay Ooh, yes let's talk about it I like I have so many I think about this is what keeps me up at night is do you think Jean knew? I wonder this all the time. Okay, great. Part of me thinks Jean did know. Me too. Well, so here's the thing. We have privately spoken at length about one panel from Mystery in the Mansion, which is after (laughs) Jean has phoenixed out, torn Emma's brain to smithereens And then Emma is apparently killed and she's the first person they got a question, obviously. Mm -hmm. She says to Bishop, I can't lie. Mm -hmm. I'm incapable of it. The Phoenix doesn't lie. And he looks in her eyes, sees the Phoenix insignia like explode in her iris. And he's like, dear God. And she walks away. And as she's walking away with fire sort of streaming off her hair, Sage is walking towards them. And she looks at her and just says, Hi, Sage. And then walks away. That's it. That's all That's she it. says to That's her. That's it. That's it. And here's what's interesting. Jean and Tessa have never been on panel together, as far well, as I have. can remember. Have they? So this is, so this is what happened. The, I bet I, you know. I was I like, you must digging. know. Yeah. I was like, let's go digging. Because I we talked about this, and I was like, I really want to know, have they ever interacted? Or has it just been like like stories from Aurora, right? Right. Um, So in Extreme X-Men, right after um, the whole alien invasion thing and like Storm gets taken again as to be someone's queen because everyone's obsessed with her, um, Re Claremont. Um, (laughs) Yeah, I mean, like, I get it, but also Chris. Come on. Um, uh, So (laughs) after that happens and Aurora is in a wheelchair and needs to go through physical therapy and everything, um, they go back to the X-Mansion. That's right. For the little, like, just gather your bearings and, like, get your shit together. And they're all sitting there basically having, like, a celebratory dinner of, hey, we didn't die. Um, And Jean is there and Kate is there um, from, you know, not the extreme team. And then the rest of the extreme X-Men are there. Because Kate goes in and out of that book. Yeah. It's like she's not. Yeah. Because that was when mechanics happened. She's in college. She's in college. She's a bartender now. She's like doing stuff. She gets her first tattoo. She's like, you know. She's clearly with karma. No, she's not. That's why I feel bad for karma. Now that Kate has come into herself and is like, I'm a grown woman now. Call me Kate. Also, I fuck girls. I feel really (laughs) bad 
for Sean because Sean was the one who was like, I love you, Kitty, but it's too bad you're straight. And Kitty was like, I know. And now I'm just like, <laughs> I've said this on an earlier episode. I want a scene where Sean is just like, so are you just dabbling now or what? And Kate is like really <laughs> offended and it, it becomes like a conversation that they have between them. And then Sean apologizes and then they maybe go out dancing. Maybe. It's that just could be fun. fun. Although I'm kind of on the Sean Danny train these days. I am 100%. I like I wasn't and then I like just because I hadn't I hadn't thought about it that much, you know? And then once that I That first to issue think of Vita's it, run. Oh yeah. I was like, "Oh, they should kiss." Yes, 100%. So. Clearly, I mean, I just made a poll. I like making polls of things that I like uh-huh. obscurely want to draw and I'm like, "Here you go." And I put Danny and Sean on there. Shawnee also is a ready-made ship name. Yeah, I'm just putting it out there. It's ready to go. I I love them when they're like co-leading the new mutants. It's and good. Like, it's a good like lean on each other type of thing. Yeah, I like that now that Roberto and Cannonball are out of the picture. Like yeah. Sam and Berto are gone, and I don't love that because I enjoy those characters. But yes. I like that the immediate shift it creates is mm-hmm. this is Danny and Sean's show now because yeah. Ilyana is off doing five thousand things because <laughs> she's the most popular character in the line again, which yeah. good for her. Love that for her. Longtime fan. Yes, hundred percent. But I did think it was ridiculous that she was the captain, the war captain, instead of Danny. I agree. And I get it more now because if you're going to give Danny a role, it makes sense to emphasize her as a teacher. Yeah. So I really like it now. But initially, I was just like, why doesn't Danny get to be the war captain? They always said she was the next Cyclops. Yeah. That was her whole yeah. thing. I love so. Danny. I love Side, Danny. Sidetrack, I love Danny. Sorry, oh, I, I so think 2021 I'm... is going to be a big year for Danny. I'm excited. <laughs> yeah. So, like, they go back and they're having dinner and stuff, and Sage is at the table, and they're all like, yay, having a good time. And Jean is cutting the cake or whatever, serving whatever. And... God, I remember this now. Keep going, yeah. keep going. So she comes out, and she's like, hey, guys, what's up? And Sage immediately, like, is like, hi, thanks for inviting me, and then pieces out. So she, like, <laughs> goes to leave, and Bishop is like, dude, where are you going? And she's like, I... Just have a good night. I don't need to be here. We have like history and stuff. It's cool. And she's like, she says something to the effect of like, I make them uncomfortable. Yeah. And he's like, uh, okay. And then later he like leaves and like goes and like, is like, so what was that about? And she's like, well, we have history. And he's like, we all have history. And she's like, it's different. <laughs> right. Cause she's referring to the dark Phoenix saga. Yeah. Is that is what I assumed. I remember this now. And it's like, that's mm-hmm. acknowledging she's so deep in cover that she's not able to stop them from doing what they do to Jean. Yeah. If you're Jean, I imagine that's a sore spot, right? I mean, Probably. I talked about this in the Jean episode with Sarah Century, but the thing they've never addressed really is the sexual violence that Mastermind yes. commits against Jean throughout yeah. that arc. And Emma's complicity in that because she enables Mastermind to enter Jean's mind. Mm-hmm. Tessa, who is someone who has her own history of sexual violence. Mm-hmm. Multiple times. Yeah, I mean, she mentions offhandedly at one point in Extreme that she was once sold to a harem and escaped. This is, okay, side point. That's a very, Chris, come on. Also, I just want to, (laughs) like, sit down. I, like, the sage that I imagine exists is the sage that is just walking around and, like, somebody says something and she's like, oh, yeah, like, I did that once. And they're like, wait, what? (laughs) Right, once I was in Karachi and the building exploded and I had to do six somersaults and kick a guy in the face and you're just like, what? And then she just drops it. 
that was during the Clinton administration and I was attacked by a CIA agent and I had to garrote him with my belt. And you're just like, what? You know, like she does yeah. sort of just feel like she would have those to pull out. Those weird stories of stuff yeah. that she's done that like, it's just like, whatever, it's fine. That was a Tuesday night. <laughs> when Lifeguard is walking through her memories, there's also a moment where like, she's even younger than she is as like, <laughs> as, a, as like a refugee fighting for her life with a rifle in the Hindu Kush. When she meets Xavier, she's like, we said 14, 15, maybe. There's another moment that Lifeguard sees where she's like 12 in the Balkans fleeing yep. soldiers. Yeah. Never explained or like, addressed. What have ever. you done? What are the things your eyes have seen? Where are you even forgotten? from? <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Well, we don't know. There's a question about that that a reader sent in, and we'll get to that later, but we know nothing about Sage's origins. We actually don't even know, and I don't love this, but this is just how it is what it is. We don't even know her name because when she manipulates Shaw again and pretends to rejoin him at the Hellfire Club right. in Claremont's 2004 Uncanny Run, yep. when she turns on him, her capacity to betray again, and he gets <laughs> fucked up, he like says like Tessa, how could you do this? She's like, you named me Tessa. Yeah, I was wondering that for a long time where Tessa came from, and then like rereading, I was like, so Sean named her Tessa. I thought Tessa would have come from Xavier. Well, what doesn't make her. sense, and this is again, I think this is why Claremont has to establish this backstory between her and Shaw and Xavier because Xavier calls her Tessa in the flashback where he's training her before she goes yes. to work with Shaw. So I would, I would ditch the Shaw part. <laughs> I mean, I well, here's what I here's my thinking. This is my So part of why I think people don't use Sage is because we all know and he's very open about it and I mm -hmm. admire that about him. Chris Claremont does not like that all these other people are playing with his toys and have been since 1991. He yeah. hates it. And Sage is the only character that no one else has really touched mm -hmm. in substantive ways. Yeah. And I think that much like, I, I mean, I asked Grant Morrison once at New York Comic Con. It was right after Final Crisis. And I asked Grant, you know, I said, Renee Montoya is my favorite DC character. And I liked how you wrote her in Final Crisis briefly. Would you consider using her in Multiversity or in any of the other projects that you're working on in, in Batman or whatever? And they said, you know, I really like that character, but I think a lot of us feel like she's Greg's character. Mm. And since Greg left the company, we feel weird right. touching her too much. And I said... They were referring to Greg yeah, Rucka. Yeah, yeah. And I completely yeah. understand that. But I was just saying that for the listeners if they're not DC people. And Greg Rucka is the definitive writer on that character, obviously. But I said to Morrison, I was like, well, but he left the company. So if everybody is nervous about touching her, then she's never going to get used. And Morrison was yeah. like, you know what? That's a really good point. Let me see if I can work her in somewhere. And yeah. they didn't ultimately. But yeah. I was happy that they thought about it. I think that Sage is like that for Chris Claremont for a lot of people. I think people are nervous Maybe. about... like. Why doesn't she have an origin story yet? Because they're sort of waiting to let Claremont maybe do that. Yeah. That's kind of what it feels like. But here's what I would do if I were allowed to. The Hindu Kush also borders Iran. Mm -hmm. And I would make her Iranian. Yeah. Because she's not Afghan. Yeah. She's not native to the region that she meets Xavier in. But there are certainly Iranians who are pale with blue eyes. Right. And I think that it would be a really interesting... There are no Iranian X-Men characters, which seems crazy to me, given the sociopolitical importance of Iran yep. in our current era. And given her role on X-Force now, I think it would be really cool. Yeah. 
like they have to go to Tehran for something and she's like I grew up in Tehran actually by the way and they're all just like what what <laughs> she's like well before I was you know in the Balkans and then sold to a harem and then the, like before all of her adventures as sage which began when she was like 12 you know but she could be like I was born here or something like mm-hmm. that and then I'm not an expert on Farsi or Persian names, but I bet there's a name that starts with a T that could be mm-hmm. her name. And it would be very Sebastian Shaw to be like, I'll call you Tessa. Ugh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, Fuck I Sebastian think that Shaw. and I think that would explain it. You know what I mean? It's that like, would explain it. That could work. I'm sure there is a Farsi name that like yeah, for sure. has like a T-A-Z or T-A-S or T-E-S or T-E-Z sound and like he hears that that's her name and he's just like, I'm going to call you Tessa. And he mm-hmm. just calls her Tessa. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I'm really interested in the geopolitical ramifications of Krakoa. And mm-hmm. I think that having Colossus, who's Russian, and having, there are Brazilian characters in the X-Men, like Roberto. And like I think that having an Iranian character would be cool in this yeah, moment. Sure. And I, it's the region that we see her in earliest. So yeah. apart from that one weird scene in the Balkans. So I think it would be neat. <laughs> Um, that's my hot take. Again, please, anyone listening, feel free to steal if you like it, because I think that would be cool. But I do think that there has been a a hesitation about using her because she's seen so much as Chris Claremont's baby. Yeah. But like, yeah, like you said, the minute you start thinking of something so precious, it's that it doesn't get done or it doesn't get used. Exactly. Missed opportunity. And she is like, there's so much here that you can put together. And once you figure out like a timeline and like, a distinct like thorough line of all the stuff that has happened and kind of take what you need and put aside things that don't make sense because it's not all going to make sense. These characters have been around for fucking ever. Like it's, you have to pick and choose and like try and make something that forms a person. And she's very multifaceted. Like everybody, I think Sage a lot of times for people (laughs) who aren't Claremont write her as like, computer that has feelings where she is feelings that has a computer yeah she is very emotional like she clearly has a lot of feelings about a lot of stuff and And she has to tamp that down because she knows it's not logical exactly so like she and there's a certain point where like she is a human being and these things come out whether or not she wants them to come out like you can only suppress so much (laughs) Yeah, so to loop back around to that scene in Murder at the Mansion. Always there. (laughs) Always there, mentally. Yeah. The question is, did Jean know that Tessa was Xavier's agent? Was in the basement. Yeah. Did she know? Like, technically, maybe. Maybe there was some overlap time of, like, he's training, right? Yeah, I think that, because he says, my X-Men, meaning that he's already planning to make them. Yeah, so here's what I kind of... And he puts her in the uniform. Yeah, he to has train. Her. He has her in it. And then it's sort of implied that she knows about them and is taught about them, but they weren't taught about her. And it's very clear, Scott, Bobby, Hank, Warren absolutely mm-hmm. do not know about her. <laughs> She's a stranger. She shows up to the family, like, get together, and they're like, whose cousin are you? you know? Yeah, who are you? Right. Yeah. But Jean is the tricky one. And here's yes. why I think Jean... So there's two case, there's two theories of the case, right? If right. Jean had known that Tessa was Xavier's agent, surely she would have talked to Tessa during Dark Phoenix to try and get help. Yeah. So there's that. Yes. That's hard to to jive. Unless she's like, I can't expose Tessa's cover. Mm-hmm. I have to find another option, which is right. also possible. Yeah. So 
that's the biggest argument that she doesn't. And you can and and I, I think you can undercut that by saying she understands how important her cover is. Yeah. The other thing, though, because Jean doesn't know she's going to become Dark Phoenix. Like, that's not it's not like she's like, if you don't stop it, I'm going to eat a planet. Like, she doesn't yeah. know. <laughs> she doesn't know she's going to go eat a star. Yeah. And kill all the broccoli people. So the other option that is like my theory of the case is to Jean absolutely knowing everything about Tessa from the beginning mm-hmm. is that Jean knows about Xavier faking his death. In the yeah. 60s. Yes. Gene is the one who knows about the Xenox invasion that's coming, yeah. knows that he, and it's a retcon, obviously, but that's what's established. And they breeze right over it. Gene's like, oh, it's been so hard keeping this a secret. <laughs> and no one seems yeah. mad about it because they have to just like, it's a very don't worry about it moment. Yeah. But Xavier knows Gene is going to become a powerful telepath. He won't be able to hide Tessa's existence from her forever. That's the thing. So I think that he must have told her just like he told her about his plan to fake his death to stop the Xenox invasion. One thing that's really interesting is I was rereading the Elias Bogan arc at the end of Extreme before this yep. episode and they referenced the Xenox invasion. Mm-hmm. It's like it, this was a scheme of Xavier's like that he used that he came up with to fight the alien Xenox. And I'm like, that just feels <laughs> like a weird thing to mention. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And so that moment where she walks up and says, hi, Sage, and she's just said to Bishop, I can't lie. I'm incapable of it. I am the Phoenix. Mm -hmm. And they see each other. And Sage says to him, Bishop, what did you see? And he's like, I don't know. I just know she didn't do it. Mm -hmm. That high Sage moment, it's like everything, just as Jean has just communicated everything she needs to communicate to Bishop Mm -hmm. by sharing eye contact, High Sage is like, it communicates, it's like, here I am manifesting the Phoenix. Remember when you didn't save me from the Phoenix? Also, look at you back at Xavier's. Isn't that interesting? Like, it mm-hmm. to me, it reads like she's got Sage's number and Sage should not fuck with her. <laughs> That's what it reads like, is she's essentially warning Sage, like, I remember you and yeah. you should not in any way think you're smarter than me or going to get the drop on me or whatever. And then she just walks away. Ugh. So I think Jean absolutely knew. And I like the idea of Jean knowing because I like when Jean is complicit in Xavier's weird shit. Because that's my favorite Jean is the Jean who is Xavier's star pupil morally and makes similarly fucked up moral calculus. Yeah, I love. Because if I'm Sage, if I'm Sage, (laughs) I'm sitting here looking at Jean who is his golden child, yep. and I'm walking around, and all I have is a piece of lingerie, and on the back it's written, I was sex trafficked as a teenager by Charles Xavier, and all I got was this stupid corset. Yeah, it's really fucked up. And she talks about that early in Extreme X-Men, where she's like, what the fuck? These guys got to go off and like be heroes and be thanked, even though they weren't really. Um, but They were in the 60s, yeah. is the thing. Like, the, yeah. f- the, 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 the mutant hatred doesn't really start doesn't until the 70s when there are more mutants, <laughs> yeah. you know, and people yeah. start to get scared. Yeah. And, like, she, she it's uh, looking, like, from the other side of the, like, fence or whatever, she's looking at them, and she's envious, and she's like, why did I have to go and do this terrible thing with these terrible people. And essentially, once she finally gets out of it, right, and gets to become an X-Man, which is what she probably wanted this entire time. Like Clearly. all of the X-Men look at her like she's like evil. Evil or garbage. <laughs> or garbage. Or, or Sebastian Shaw's whore. Yeah. I mean, there's like a very weird 
It's weird. It's a weird dynamic to enter into. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I-, I love that she always calls him Charles. Yeah, I love that too. <laughs> it's like, you're not my professor. You never taught me. Yeah. Yeah. Not the way you taught them. No. And, he's and Jean calls him. Jean calls. Yeah, he's very mean to her. And Jean calls him Charles when she's like pissed. pissed yeah. <laughs> but Sage always calls him Charles. Mm-hmm. And they like they're. And I spent I want it to be talked about now because she's on X-Force and she's running around. And like there's in the beginning of those x-force issues i think it was issue like one or two or whatever and charles is walking through the gate to go to the meeting or whatever and she's talking to him and she's like i'll let you know blah blah if something and then he like cuts her off and he's like i know you will and then just pieces out like pardon you sir (laughs) like you don't get to be snarky with her yeah of all the characters sort of wronged by xavier she's she's his his biggest like and it's not really ever been dealt with and i think that x-force is a great book to do it in because all of the morally fucked up stuff that's going on in that book Mm -hmm. it would be great to see sage turn to charles at one point and just be like like maybe charles is like you know we have to do difficult things sometimes or like says something and and sage like turns out it's like you think i don't know that charles do you remember how old I was when you sent me to the Hellfire Club? Oh my god. I really want like, like a something whole like that would be real like a monologue yeah. would be she, real good. In when schism happens and they're actually like at the mansion. Because like again at that little party, like Jean asked them, like, come home, come be part of the X-Men again. Right. You don't have to go be this other This team isn't this schism the event. This is when they leave to, this is a different schism yeah. that she's talking about where they cut yes. ties with Xavier because they're looking for Destiny's diaries. This is the premise of Extreme X-Men and Storm because of Onslaught doesn't trust Xavier with the diaries. Don't worry about Onslaught. She's it's like, just like, you know. She's like, something funky is going on. I don't like it. I'm not, I'm going to go live in my apartment somewhere else with my friends. And they're all like, yeah, that sounds good. Um, yeah. So she's the last, they're all walking out of the room and Xavier is like, hey guys, like, are you sure you're not going to do this? And then he like stops Sage, who is the last one out. And he just goes to her and like says like, Hey, like, you know that, you know that, you know my dream. I talked to you about this. Like, you, I, you know what I'm trying to do here. And she's, he's like, I have good intentions. And she says, Oh, mm-hmm. I know I love your this. intentions. <laughs> I walked the roads to, of hell to which they're paved and shit. And she walks out. <laughs> I've walked the road to hell yes. with which they're paved. <sighs> it's so good. It's very Claremont. It's mm-hmm. an unbelievably Claremonty piece of dialogue. Yeah. I love it. And she was like, she was loyal. She's, one of her like main attributes is that she is extremely loyal to Storm. Like, period. Yes. Above all else. Well, because it's established that when Bogan mm-hmm. kidnapped her and tortured her and did all kinds of things to her that were just we it's glossed know. over. Mm-hmm. It's glossed over, but it feels sexual also yes, to me. For sure. And leaves a permanent mark on her face. Those tattoos under her eyes mm-hmm. are the mark of Bogan. Because she doesn't have them when she's Tessa. That happens in the six month gap. Yes. Bogan offers, like, you can ransom Tessa back to Shaw, but you're going to have to give me everything you own. And Shaw says, then you can keep her. Yeah. She's not that valuable to me. And it's Storm who rescues her from Bogan during the six-month gap. And so after that, she's in. And I love that because it is, again, Tessa is the one who offered sanctuary to Storm after Nimrod. Like, she said to Storm, like, bring your X-Men here. She was the one who Mm -hmm. offered that olive branch. And this is Storm essentially returning the favor, but in a much 
higher stakes situation. And Sage is just like, after that, Sage is in. Sage is in on Storm in like... (laughs) They should kiss, by the way. Listen, she showed up to that team like, hey, I heard you like dark haired girls who are extremely well at fighting and like... And have a history of killing people and being sad. Is that a thing you like? And it's like Yukio and Callisto are just like, does she? We didn't. (laughs) Which like makes things even more complicated when those two show up later. And she's like, hello, I was right here. (laughs) I was here this whole time, Aurora. No, it does definitely vibe like they should make out, in my opinion. And obviously I am. I mean. I can't tell you how excited I am about the next issue of Marauders, um, (laughs) which is going to be a Storm and Callisto fiesta because I've been obsessed with them since I was a teenager or since younger. God, I started reading these books when I was... What is it? 170... 170, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I have have that hanging above my desk, so I never forget. Love that. But yeah, I mean, Sage is definitely in that mold and Mm -hmm. I think they would vibe. Yeah. But I'm also just like team let Storm kiss women. Agreed. 100%. I don't care who it is. Just at this point, fun. like literally whoever. I'm, I care I'm in. a little bit, but you know. I kind of care a little bit, <laughs> I, but I have like three people I would like for it to be and mm-hmm. they are Callisto, Yukio, or Sage. Those are really the three for me There's... that I would like to see. I would like to see it. Yeah. Extreme X-Men is extremely bi um, across the board. It's a deeply, yeah. Well, Which... it's a Claremont book. Yeah, And exactly. it's Claremont untamed after like, you know, he was held to certain... Mm-hmm. censorship standards in the 80s and yes. now it's like you know what you want to just imply that <laughs> kitty and rachel are sleeping together go for it she she and sage in particular like she's off on the gay agenda she shows up and she's like hi i ran out of stuff to read i want to find destiny's diaries let's go and then yeah, they're later- all hunting for like lesbian diaries yes, by the way like the whole sage premise is Mystique's <laughs> wife wrote these diaries. Let's go yeah. find them. And then yeah. as things progress and everything, like she brings Kate back on because she they figure out that she had an inkling that Rachel was tied up in the Elias Bogan stuff and she was Yeah, because like, Bogan has kidnapped come Rachel. Come that's the, that's where the plot all goes. Right. Yeah. It's like, hmm, let's recruit who? Hmm. Who would be Rachel's tether to our world and hmm. to the people she loves? Um what's Kitty Pride up to? Sage knows. <laughs> Sage was introduced in the same story. Yeah. I mean, it's a little bit after, but it's she doesn't meet Kitty there because it's that's the Emma storyline. And Tessa comes in when Emma's in a coma and they're all at the club. Yes. When Jean gets transformed into Dark Phoenix. But the Hellfire Club and Kitty Pride, now Captain Kate, are very tied together Mm. from their inception, which is why her being the Red Queen of the Hellfire Club now is really fun. I love it. I love it so much. Um, and let me see here. There was something. Oh, yeah. So here's the other thing about um, Jean and Tessa that could be interesting. Yeah. Um, is that what if there, because we don't know. This is all speculation. We right. We don't know what happened. But what if there was a situation where Tessa and Jean met each other or something or interacted or whatever she found out about Tessa in the basement pretty much training like her life away until she was ready to go and like infiltrate and she said something to her like blow my cover save me don't let me do this and Jean just let it happen and Jean said no yeah and then later like they and then later Jean's like help me during the dark And, and Tessa's like I can't break my cover actually yeah so what if there could be this like weird like 
tit for tat kind of thing. But the thing that's crazy to me is now they're both on X Force and none of this has been addressed. No one's talking about it. No one. Okay. Sage has been around for a lot of stuff and knows a lot of people that no one is talking to. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I just and and listen, I really like how Percy writes Jean. Mm -hmm. So I would love to tease some of this out like i want let's... more sage content all the time i, feel like... I mean i also do like <laughs> i i i think my x-men monday question when percy was up was like i was like hi ben um <laughs> can we see sage in the field please like she's please. a better fighter than all these people mostly yes. like <laughs> and that to go to go way back <laughs> i think that's part of why there are people who are resistant to her yeah. because she when she hits in 2001 and is suddenly this very, very important character who Claremont is clearly obsessed with, there is kind of a Mary Sue accusation that gets thrown around. And what doesn't help, and this is the one element of the character that they have essentially thrown out. Oh, yeah. Let's talk about it. I know it's coming. (laughs) Before we go to the character file, we need to talk about this because it is the really bad part of the character is he gives her this other power. God, yes. That she never had as Tessa. Yes. That is actually the power he intended for Sarah Gray, Jean's sister, mm-hmm. when he pitched to shoot her in an attempt to stop X Factor from resurrecting Jean Gray. What if you used Sarah and gave her this power, which is this power to jumpstart other people's mutations mm-hmm. or to amplify their powers? Yeah. Um, it doesn't make any sense that Sage can do this. It doesn't yeah. fit any of her other stuff. It doesn't really at all. And it's used as kind of a deus ex machina plot device several mm-hmm. times in Extreme X-Men. Several First, times. she saves Beast's life by jumpstarting his ability to heal, mm-hmm. which then causes him to evolve into Kitty Beast well, later this on. this is the thing. I think he resents the hell out of her for that. He does, which is an interesting thing about yes. X-Force also that we should get into it i just more sage content (laughs) right yeah no he i think he hates her for that me too and i would like more info on that i think he hates her for that i think he hates her for a lot of stuff i think he's very um egotistical in the fact that like she was chosen for this special mission and even though and i wasn't right yeah, yeah exactly so like while the rest of the X-Men don't really... Though it's funny to imagine Xavier putting Hank in lingerie and asking him to become Sebastian Shaw's concubine and deliver information. But yes, no, it is sort of like Xavier trusted you with all these secrets and not Mm -hmm. me. I mean, I think that's the same reason Hank kind of resents Gene. Yes, yeah, yeah, me too. Is that he has always thought he's the smartest person in the room and like he maybe is in terms of raw intellect, but his instincts are so bad oh my that God. you that, can't like, trust him with anything. That Those opening panels of X-Force where he's like, I'm the conductor. I'm like, Sage is sitting right beside Sage you. Sage is sitting <laughs> next to you. She is. And the only person who is undeniably smarter than Hank mm-hmm. is Tessa. Mm-hmm. Her brain is a computer. Yep. <laughs> like she thinks exponentially faster than you do. And it pisses him off. <laughs> oh, it sure does. Yeah, so the jumpstart power, first she uses it to save Beast's life, then she jumpstarts, I mean, people blame her for Lifeguard and Slipstream as part of yeah. the problem, because yeah. she jumpstarts them, then she jumpstarts Rogue and yeah. gives Rogue that super overpowered sequence of events, yeah. which everyone kind of didn't like, and then burns Rogue's <laughs> powers out, and Gambit's powers also burn out in the same storyline, and then eventually she just jumpstarts Gambit's powers again. Twice. <laughs> after yeah, twice after extreme though i feel like she's never used it again really no that's about it yeah 
because I think that it died with extreme. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's just one of those things where it's too much. Mm-hmm. If Sarah Gray had that power and it was her only power, the yes. balance would be she doesn't have a power she can use on herself. Yeah, Tessa is immune to telepathy thinks faster than anybody else and has a perfect eidetic memory, mm-hmm. can read other people's body language down to macroseconds and yeah. microseconds yeah. and use that to fight. Mm-hmm. I love that. That sequence where she's like <laughs> basically pummeling like a horde of people and they're like, what did you just do? And she's like, what? I just like read their body language. It's fine. <laughs> it's fine. And I. it's funny because I didn't like when they gave that to Cypher when he came back from the dead. Uh-huh. Like, like body language is language. I can read it. That felt a little goofy to me, and I'm glad yeah. they've pulled back on that. It felt like an overcompensate. I love Zeb Wells so much. Yeah, yeah. So, 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 so much. But that felt like we have to prove that Doug Ramsey can be cool. <laughs> and I like that they've settled into a zone now where he can be cool without needing to be, like, a badass in that cool way. You know what I mean? It's fine. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's I love I love the way where Doug is right now. Yeah. But... Sage, it makes total sense. It actually yes. is sort of reminiscent of the Legion of Superheroes character, Dream Girl, mm-hmm. where because she's precognitive, she's like, well, I can see two seconds into the future and know what you're going to do. And, it, and she was just a support character. And then that was the justification for making her suddenly a really badass fighter when she yeah. starts training. Tessa makes sense. Similarly, it's like if you think faster than everyone else and you can analyze other people like a computer, mm-hmm. then, of course you'd become a very skilled hand-to-hand combatant because <laughs> yeah. you can anticipate their moves. And I like it for her. Yeah, I like a fighter too. Like, I like the idea that she's not really a regular telepath because she has a firewall up at all times. Yes. I think that's brilliant. Here's the thing about that too is I'm I'm heavily invested in whatever happened between Emma and Tessa at the Hellfire Club. Um, but For sure. I think if you have these two people who have to exist in this place that is ultimately hostile. And there's another telepath walking around that you can kind of figure out, but has up this giant firewall. I think Emma's going to poke the bear. Absolutely. Cause <laughs> like Emma she's... would hate that. She can't read Tessa. That oh, would drive her crazy. Oh, Oh, absolutely. It would drive her crazy. Like I, and the fact that like she, is now that firewall closer. is a retcon by the way, because yeah. in an 80 story, karma possesses Tessa. Well, here's the but thing. <laughs> it's kind of interesting at the end of the story. Tessa is basically like, I let you do that. Yeah. Yeah. I just, I literally just read that. Cause I was like, I want to like look at this. Um, so yeah, I think it's a case of like, in the beginning, it's like, oh, my God, this should be easy. It's not as easy as I thought it would be of karma, like trying to possess her. And then I think like, yeah, Tessa lets her do it a little bit. Yeah. And Shaw's like, kill her. And like Tessa's like, no, it's fine. I feel bad for her. She wants to find her siblings. She's yeah. just trying to do the right thing. And then she turns to karma. And it's like, but just for your information, Magneto asked me to look for your mm-hmm. siblings already. And I did. And I can't find anything. Yeah. So, she's like, I already did it. We're I already good. did that. But no I, but you know what? Like no harm, no foul. Yeah. It's fine. You can leave now. I want them to interact too. I, all these people who like have 10. Who interacted like, with her at Tessa as yeah, Tessa. And yeah. we don't see that enough. Mm-hmm. It's all of these like. Rachel, 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 Tessa was there. So one of yes. the most fascinating <laughs> Tessa moments in retrospect is yeah. when Celine mm-hmm. is nominated as Black Queen and Shaw is really intimidated by her because oh, she's so powerful. Yep. 
Celine as like a housewarming gift <laughs> mentally enslaves Rachel, very Chris Claremont, yeah. dresses her in a maid costume, very Chris Claremont, mm-hmm. and offers her as a servant to the inner circle. Yep. And Shaw's like, huh. <laughs> and Tessa has a thought bubble where she's like, I can read that this girl is the phoenix or is like tied it's is so much like jean gray mm-hmm. is she connected to the phoenix the raw power here is unfathomable take her shaw use her to destroy Celine. Mm-hmm. and that's where it's like well if we're going to take all of these scenes as, as canon even with the retcon that's where it's like okay tess is a little too far undercover now mm-hmm And I kind of like the idea that Tessa, perhaps because she can compartmentalize so well because of the way her brain is set up, can easily become someone who becomes the mask and falls into an identity she's assumed. Yeah. Because that is the only way to explain Diana Fox. And with that, (laughs) I think we should pause for the Cerebro character file on Tessa, a.k.a. Sage, AKA who knows, because apparently Tess is not her real name, although that's going to be the name of the episode. This is a character who is essentially defined by a retcon. So I'm going to take you through her publication history as Tessa first, and then reiterate the retcon and then talk about her history as Sage. And then we will come back here to talk more with Valentine Smith about her favorite Sage stories and her favorite Tessa stories, why Sage is her favorite X-Man and then we will get to some of your reader questions. So stay tuned. We'll be right back. X-Men, X-Men. The woman known as Sage is a bit of a walking retcon. Introduced in 1980 by writer Chris Claremont and artist John Byrne, she was then known as Tessa and operated as Black King Sebastian Shaw's personal aide at the Hellfire Club. A supporting character for many years, in 2001 she was reinvented by Claremont in a complex retcon. In the new series, Extreme X-Men, it was established that Tessa was one of Xavier's original students, kept separate from the 60s X-Men, and instead deployed as a spy to the Hellfire Club. From there, she became one of Claremont's signature characters in his 21st century return to the X-Men franchise. Tessa first appears in Uncanny X-Men 132, and Hellfire is their name, part of the famous Dark Phoenix saga. She has no dialogue and merely attends to Sebastian Shaw. She's similarly silent in her next appearance a year later in Uncanny X-Men 151, but finally gets some lines in 1982's Marvel graphic novel number four, The New Mutants, wherein she's captured alongside Charles Xavier by the Hellfire Club's rogue white king, anti-mutant bigot Donald Pierce. When the New Mutants defeat Pierce, Xavier is forced to remand him to Tess's custody, though the narration notes he does not trust her, which is a little tricky with the later retcons. It is, however, notable that she addresses him familiarly as Charles. Tessa then recurs as a background character, with a few notable moments. When Celine, a candidate for Black Queen, presents Shaw with a bewitched Rachel Summers as a gift, Tessa observes the girl's resemblance to Jean Grey and hopes Shaw can use her as a weapon to destroy Celine. When the Inner Circle and the X-Men are both attacked by the time-traveling future sentinel robot Nimrod, it's Tessa who suggests joining forces, inviting Storm to have her X-Men shelter at the Hellfire Club in order to help both groups evade the authorities. This olive branch leads to a long-standing truce between the X-Men and the Hellfire Club, with both Storm and Magneto, by this point the headmaster at Xavier's and mentor to the New Mutants, accepting membership in the Lord's Cardinal. When the New Mutant Karma is desperate to find her missing younger siblings, she possesses Tessa in an attempt to access the Hellfire Club's database. When she's discovered, Shaw is furious, but Tessa encourages him to be merciful. She tells Karma she already looked for the missing children at Magneto's behest to no avail. 
The same year, a backup story in Classic X-Men number 7 called Out with the Old relates the story of Shaw and Emma Frost seizing control of the Hellfire Club from its previous leaders, Ned Buckman and Paris Seville, who were secretly anti-mutant bigots. In this story, we see that Tessa and Shaw's lover Lourdes Chantal were the only voices of reason holding his aggression back. When Lourdes was killed by Sentinels, even level-headed Tessa was unable to stop Shaw from seeking his revenge. After the 1989 franchise-wide event Inferno, Magneto joins forces with Emma Frost and Selene to depose Shaw from the Lord's Cardinal. Tessa departs the Hellfire Club at his side, and later neglects to warn the rest of the Inner Circle that Donald Pierce has escaped from captivity, as she feels no loyalty to them. Around this time, Chris Claremont ended his 16-year tenure on the X-Men books. When Shaw is believed killed in an explosion, Tessa begins assisting his son, Shinobi Shaw, who takes the role of Black King at the Hellfire Club. She's unaware that Shinobi is the one who attempted to kill his father in the first place, but ultimately betrays him in a 1995 story, contacting the X-Men when the infighting within the club threatens its stability. Later that year, she returns to Sebastian Shaw's side to help him control the dangerous interdimensional mutant Holocaust, don't worry about it, and battle the paramilitary squad X-Force, consisting partly of the former New Mutants. In the ongoing series X-Man, Tessa is troubled by Shaw's growing attachment to Selene's apprentice, an amnesiac Madeline Pryor, who has been resurrected from the dead by Nate Gray, an alternate reality version of her son Cable. Don't worry about it. Feeling sorry for the woman, Tessa telepathically pokes around in her head and accidentally reawakens all her memories. Madeline threatens Tessa, but ultimately spares her. Not long after this, Shaw and Tessa depart the club once more. With Chris Claremont's return to the X-Men franchise at the turn of the millennium, Tessa is the subject of a substantial wide-ranging retcon. After the six-month gap, we discover Tessa, now called Sage, has become mansion staff at Xavier's. Her vast intellect is now explained as a cyberpathic brain which functions like a computer, and she aids the X-Men in interrogations. Through her old Hellfire Club connection, she manages to arrange a meeting between the X-Men and presidential candidate Senator Robert Kelly, formerly the primary anti-mutant activist in the U.S. government. They manage to change his mind about mutants, but he's unfortunately assassinated shortly before the election. Sage becomes a primary character in Claremont's new series, Extreme X-Men, where she follows Storm and a splinter team as they attempt to locate the prophetic diaries of the deceased mutant precognitive Destiny. She now sports unexplained facial tattoos, symmetrical jagged marks beneath her eyes. The other X-Men don't trust Tessa, but Storm stresses her belief in their new teammates' intentions. When the Beast is nearly killed, Sage reveals a heretofore unknown power. She has the ability to jumpstart latent mutations and triggers Hank's healing factor. The use of this jumpstart power will move the plot several times over the course of Extreme X-Men, such as when she activates latent mutant Davis Cameron, turning him into the very briefly tenured X-Man slipstream. Early in the run, Sebastian Shaw learns of Sage's betrayal and hires the illusionist Lady Mastermind, daughter of the evil mutant mastermind who manipulated Jean Grey, to manipulate Tessa and lead her back to the Hellfire Club. It's through Lady Mastermind's manipulations that we first learn elements of Sage's new retconned backstory. Recruited by Charles Xavier back when he first formed the X-Men, he kept her separate from his other students and trained her as a spy instead of a superhero, placing her at Shaw's side so that he had eyes on the Hellfire Club. She has been a double agent all along, and in the six-month gap, she revealed her true nature. With the unwilling assistance of new teammate Lifeguard, don't worry about it, Sage breaks free from the illusion and cripples Lady Mastermind's brain. During an interdimensional invasion, don't worry about that either, but it's worth noting Sage absolutely wrecks the Hydra-affiliated supervillainess Viper, creating a lasting grudge between them. Sage uses her jumpstart ability to give Rogue new control over powers she's absorbed in the past. Rogue channels destiny and realizes the diaries are a trap. Sage is angry with herself for failing to realize this, as she fancied herself the brains of the operation, and the team disbands. 
Sage begins doing detective work with Bishop, with whom she's formed a friendship. When Jeffrey Garrett, one of the students at Xavier's, is a suspect in a murder investigation, Sage realizes the actual culprit is Elias Bogan, an evil psychic of great power. Bogan and Sage clearly have history, and the idea of facing him again terrifies her. She rebukes her old mentor Xavier and follows Storm again, leaving the school to help her work in fostering human-mutant cooperation. Toward the end of Extreme X-Men, the team comes face-to-face with Elias Bogan, and Sage's history with him is revealed. Years earlier, when she was Tessa of the Hellfire Club, she aided Sebastian Shaw in cheating at a game of cards against Bogan that cost Bogan dearly. During the six-month gap, Bogan kidnapped her and tortured her extensively, leaving her with his mark, the facial tattoos that have become a signature part of her design, permanently etched on her face. Shaw refused to pay the exorbitant ransom to recover her, but Storm came to her rescue, and this is why Sage has followed Storm so loyally ever since. Bogan attempts to turn the X-Men against Sage by revealing the rest of her backstory. As a teenage girl, she lived alone in the Hindu Kush in Afghanistan, fending for herself. She rescued Charles Xavier after his legs were crushed by the supervillain Lucifer and helped him recover. Later, when she came upon a group of bandits who had raped and murdered United Nations relief workers, she brutally executed the bandits without hesitation. Bogan thinks the X-Men will be appalled, but they mostly just think Sage did the right thing, honestly. It's a bit of a flop as evil schemes go. With Sage's help, the X-Men rescue Rachel Summers, Bogan's latest victim. After Extreme X-Men ended, Claremont brought Sage with him as he returned to Uncanny X-Men with 2004's issue 444. Setting up a computer center at the mansion, Sage becomes the team's eye on all global affairs. When the team is attacked by the Fury, an interdimensional cyborg that kills superheroes, it manages to infect Sage's computer mind, and she nearly destroys her friends before they help her shake off the Fury's influence. Viper then turns up to seek revenge for Sage's humiliation of her earlier, and seemingly kills her, but it turns out Wolverine had replaced Sage using an image inducer. Viper reveals she's part of a new inner circle of the Hellfire Club, and Sebastian Shaw offers Sage the opportunity to return to his side. Baffling her friends, Sage agrees, joining Shaw at the club. It turns out she's just manipulating him, and she maneuvers former new mutant Roberto DaCosta into replacing him as Lord Imperial by allowing old enemy Donald Pierce to attack Shaw. When Shaw berates Tessa for her betrayal, Sage replies that it was Shaw who gave her that name in the first place. With the X-Men now in control of the Hellfire Club, Sage briefly remains with Roberto to help him manage his new role. Then the decimation happens, and Claremont takes Sage with him to his new title, New Excalibur. Traveling to London after hearing of an attack on the X-Men there, Sage sticks around and becomes part of the government agency MI-13, working with Pete Wisdom and Captain Britain to battle various threats. When her new teammate Nocturne, who has the power to possess others, suffers a crippling stroke, Sage offers the use of her own body to help Nocturne heal psychologically. Then, um, Diana Fox happens. So, basically an evil alternate Captain Britain called Albion amasses an army, and Sage dyes her hair blonde and goes deep undercover in the new identity of Diana Fox, pretending to join him. He gives her the code name Britannia, and she becomes his most feared lieutenant. Sage analyzes Albion and determines he believes he's doing the right thing, which makes her feel conflicted. And when she hesitates to stop him, a magical blast causes Diana Fox to become an active personality in her mind, suppressing her real self and memories as she fully becomes the mask. As Britannia, Sage eagerly aids Albion in his quest and ends up battling both her Excalibur teammates and the evil alternate X-Men called Shadow X. She beheads Shadow Cyclops with a sword. That part is pretty cool. Eventually, with the help of her friends, Sage remembers who she really is and reclaims her body from the Diana Fox personality. In the miniseries X-Men Die by the Sword, Claremont has the Omniversal Guardian Roma mortally wounded in battle, forcing her to transfer all the knowledge of the cosmos into Sage's computer mind before she dies. This leaves Sage a little bonkers, understandably. 
reeling from this new responsibility and also worried about facing charges back on Earth-616 for her actions as Diana Fox, Sage decides to join the Exiles, a reality-hopping team, just as, you guessed it, Chris Claremont takes over writing the Exiles. The book transitions into new Exiles, and you honestly don't have to worry about it. Roma's cosmic power rattling around in her head makes the Diana Fox personality more active and powerful. Sage has to fight with Diana over who controls their body. It's sort of like Rogue and Carol Danvers back in the 80s. Diana and Sage eventually cooperate to stop Merlin's latest evil scheme, and in the process, they merge and become a cosmic being who is one with the Crystal Palace where the Exiles live. Truly, do not worry about this. The series ends not too long after that, in 2009, and Sage and the other Exiles fall into suspended animation. In the 2012 second volume of Extreme X-Men, now written by Greg Pak, the X-Man and former new Excalibur member Dazzler ends up on a bunch of dimension-hopping adventures in the vein of the Exiles. On one of these trips, she encounters Sage, who somehow stopped being a cosmic being merged with the Crystal Palace and has instead been hopping around different dimensions. Reunited with her old teammate, Sage begins traveling the multiverse with Dazzler to hunt down ten alternate versions of Charles Xavier who are evil and threatening all reality. After this series ends, Sage mostly retires into the background for a while. In the 2019 soft reboot Dawn of X by Jonathan Hickman, Sage becomes an early citizen of the new sovereign mutant nation on the living island Krakoa. She becomes the public-facing coordinator of the Krakoan gates that enable teleportation to and from the island from various locations on Earth, but is also tapped by Xavier for his new iteration of X-Force, which is to operate as Krakoa's equivalent to the CIA. As one of the heads of intelligence in the new mutant state, Sage finally has the important role in Xavier's vision she always craved but isn't certain she can trust the judgment of her superior, Hank McCoy. X-Men, X-Men. So uh, hopefully that was helpful in terms of understanding this character. If you got lost somewhere around New Excalibur or New Exiles, don't worry, because so did most people. Uh, <laughs> as, as Jordan White said on the Brian Braddock episode, New Exiles was not an enormously beloved book, I would say. That era of Claremont is probably the era that people are most down on, that new Excalibur into new Exiles moment. Uh, but it was Jordan White's first editorial gig at Marvel. And so he's very, very fond of Sage, which is why Sage is now on X-Force, because he suggested her for the team. So oh, thank God. Someone. You know what? So new Exiles. Yeah. So someone new Exiles. New Exiles, actually. Uh, but can you imagine your first editing job being Die by the Sword? That's crazy. Oh, God. The prospect of editing Die by the Sword is wild to me. I yeah, like having just reread Die by the Sword. Same. That's... I reread it for the Saturnine episode and it is a lot to take yeah. in. Oh my God. So I'm listening to the Saturnine episode and you start talking about Die by the Sword. I'm like, I know Die by the Sword stages in that. Because <laughs> <laughs> like everything to me, like for at least for a long time was like, was Sage in that? No. Okay. It was the thing that Sage wasn't in or it was the same thing. That Sage and would wasn't. you say that's because Extreme was the first ongoing you were picking up as it was coming out? Like, why is she your favorite? So. Why are so many of these? If you could synthesize <laughs> it, why do you think? Analysis. I, I, I'm going. Um, uh, I think for me, she is this very open character who just hasn't got the time or the space to actually exist. So, like, she has all these things that we are given, like her Elias Bogan backstory, and like these things about how she was like also one of the original X Men, technically, and like all this stuff, and it's just not explored. Right. So, like, I really want to There's limitless potential, really. Yeah. yeah. Like, someone can go in and, like, talk about, like, all of these different stories that happened for her, like, from another viewpoint that is completely, like, 
unique to anything that has happened before or whatever. And like, I don't know. I just, I, I dig her. She's so funny. And the fact that like, yeah, most characters who have are really smart are written as the like, I'm a computer, like beep boop bop. <laughs> and she is yeah. very much not. She is rooted in her emotions, whether she likes it or not. She actually hates that. Like that she will She do wants things. to be a beep boop robot, but she can't. does. And she keeps messing it up. <laughs> <laughs> so she like keeps trying to be like, well, I don't need anybody. And then being like, I wish I had a friend right now. And then like putting I do love, I know it annoyed Claremont, but I do love in Mystery at the Mansion when Morrison establishes that she has a reboot button. Yes. Like a, a pressure that. point. Like that she's literally a computer. And if you press a pressure point, like between your shoulder blades, her brain like restarts. Yeah. I love that too. I think that's really funny. I Claremont, I remember was like, she's not a literal computer, but like it, I think it's so good. They're mutants. They're mutants. It's fine. It's fine. And it, like, it's funny if she has an acupressure point that like would just like reboot her system and like yeah. anything. That it's was, like, like control alt delete. Before. Just yeah. tap it. Yeah. It's funny. <laughs> I like it. I like that aspect. <laughs> but I love those stories too. I love that. I love that. I fucking arc. love Mystery at the Mansion. Yeah. Yeah. Oh man. What were we talking about? I don't even know. We were talking, you were just talking about how <laughs> you love her because she is sort of this emotional raw nerve kind of character, yeah. but she's always trying to be perfectly logical and like this perfectly yeah. honed computer and that it makes her fuck up all the time. Yeah. Cause she's not dealing with any of the stuff that happened to her. <laughs> She's never actually processed like any of her trauma. No. She just kind of buries it. She I think it in a that's box. partially like where Diana Fox ends up coming from, right? I think so too. It's all that stuff that she didn't deal with that she tried to like put in a box, put like in a file, like deep in her computer brain and like not touch again. <laughs> so then when she's like, let me go undercover again and assume a new identity again, like it just completely. Mm-hmm. It would have been fine. If she had dealt with the if she had dealt stuff. with being Tessa, yeah. she wouldn't be so overwhelmed by being Diana. Yeah, I think. and Brian says to her, "Like, are you sure you've got this?" And because it's Sage, and Sage to everyone else in the universe is supposed to be like, she does all the math. She did the right. math homework. The math checks out. So they trust her, and she says, "Yeah, I got this." Except she does not got this. She does not got this, <laughs> like at all. And, and it, it does awry. feel like it's a computer brain thing. People don't understand. They're like, how does Sage totally become consumed by this personality she invented? And I'm like, because she like must have partitioned off her brain, mm-hmm. right? Like she's the ultimate spy because she can be running multiple programs essentially yeah. simultaneously, yeah. right? Yeah. That's my read on it. Yeah. And it's like, and then the one program just starts overpowering the other program because she hasn't dealt with all of her emotional whatever. Mm-hmm. The problem with Diana Fox is not the storyline itself. It's that she randomly just develops like new powers spontaneously as Diana yeah. Fox. That's wild. Which, They're like, don't worry fly. about it. We're just never going to acknowledge that again. Yeah, we don't talk about it. And, like, she can fly now. It's like, mm, That kay. was wild. <laughs> She's super strong. I'm like, the, I well, I choose to believe that that is... The problem is that it happens, like, later in New Exiles also. But initially, yeah. initially, I think those are just powers Albion gives her to that's make her like I, a Captain Britain. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I thought, too. <laughs> but then they, like, sort of... But the, the thing about New Exiles is we don't actually ever need to think about New Exiles again if we don't want to. Like, yeah. none of it is actually... Apart from the fact that <laughs> Betsy and Sage have a relationship which could be explored if they ever see each other again but right now they're pretty in different places they pop up like throughout each other's like little history from extreme x-men on like they pop up but that's because they're claremont's favorite characters it's the two of them and storm (laughs) 
and Kate and Rachel are sort of his. Which I'm fine with. They can all just be together. And Danny Moonstar. Those are sort of yeah. his, like, if I were to pick his most yeah i like made a joke about there being a summoning circle that you could have like five x-men and if you put them all together like it summons you (laughs) it's yeah and chris claremont has a very specific summoning circle yeah (laughs) yeah well and it would have been interesting to see where their relationship was supposed to go in extreme because claremont didn't intend for psylocke to actually die she was supposed to come back like two issues later and casada said no so whoops whoops like you didn't ask before you killed her and my new policy is you can't bring people back from the dead it's like but i but (laughs) it was an oopsies oops like what no and then when she does come back it's again on the team that sage is on because uh claremont brought sage with him to uncanny yep in her best outfit in my opinion which is the one with the hooded jacket little hood i i like there are aspects of the alan davis design you can't you can't some of those costume designs in that era are weird, but that's a real classic, clean Alan Davis kind of yeah. design. I don't dig purple just because I personally, like, I don't use a lot of purple. <laughs> oh, it's my favorite color. So I, like, I'm always more like, opposites. yes, more. <laughs> yeah. Love that for that's us. That's the only thing I'm pretty sure that I don't, like, dig about that is that it's purple. I'm like, well, it's good, but, like, I don't My know. only thing with it is it's not her color. Yeah. Like, her, she's, she's like a That's navy true. blue and black yes. with red accents kind yes. of character. Like, exactly. the whole extreme aesthetic is kind of built around her outfit. Mm-hmm. I actually, that's one of my things with X-Force is her in that yellow coat. Mm -hmm. I'm just kind of like, that's not her color. But when she (laughs) takes it off and she's wearing the updated version of her extreme outfit with her hair down, she looks fucking amazing. Number Okay, here, I have a couple, I have a couple grievances (laughs) 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 with with Sage uh, drawing (laughs) throughout. (laughs) And they are like, I feel like a lot of people didn't understand that it takes a lot of hair to to make a bun like that with the with the tails in front yeah it it takes a lot of hair so when you see like in the early extreme when it gets let down it is she has long black it's like almost waist length yeah like it it goes it's like boob it's like tit length yeah (laughs) yeah 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 yeah. Yeah. and then like whenever we see her from there on out it was like everybody saw oh bun thing and went short or like uh shoulder length and like tried to do the same thing but it didn't translate because you didn't realize it was actually like No, to have a braided bun with those pieces, the tresses coming down in front, you have to have long hair. Yep. Yeah. So, like, I feel like that didn't get (laughs) brought down the line at all. And I feel like. But it is now because I feel like when you see her casual, it's like down to mid back. And I'm like, I love this. But I love that outfit. And she looks amazing. I'm like, like, let her wear that outfit. Here's the thing that here's how I make now. okay, is that um, I I drew a sage recently. Um, that I can't share yet, um, that she is wearing what is essentially like the kind of bomber jacket that is from the 90s. Yeah. Right. So like it it's almost like her trying to like put herself back into the life she didn't have. Well, that's the way I read it. I I like that she's. So the yellow jacket feels odd to me, but it also yes. sort of feels intentionally odd because it feels like she's dressing kind of like the original X-Men. Yeah. Like she's yeah. like, here I am now. I'm official. Yes. Here I am in yellow, like in gold. Like it's Xavier's dream. Like, mm-hmm. but it's, it's not her. Uniform. Yeah. It's the uniform. And it feels like a uniform, yeah. but no one else is wearing a uniform. <laughs> yeah. So it feels odd. They're like, we moved on from that like months ago. And she's like, but I just got here. <laughs> I just got here. Yeah. Right. I, I just would like more of her in the field in that book. And Me I would too. like more of her in that 
off the shoulder mm-hmm. cat suit with her yes. hair down because it Can looks we great. Talk about that that giant Krakoa bar scene of the Green Lagoon. Iconic. Number one, I love it. Uh, I love pages. Two, I love splashes like that with a million characters. Yeah, like I always really enjoy that because I'm I'm the I'm always the one who's looking for the tiny sage somewhere. Right. Exactly. Like <laughs> and that's she my was thing. There. Yeah. And not only that, but she's looking like across the bar. Similarly, in Disassembled, when it's like all the X-Men come together, it's like there's like I was like, look, it's Megan. Like I'm one of those. Like I always have that kind of thing where I'm just like, it's everybody. All the warriors. Yeah. I love those pages. Yeah. But she's she's looking. She's looking at Emma the way you look at an ex who just walked in with their new like best friends in the gay club. Like that's what that is. Yep. (laughs) <laughs> yep yep that's what's happening there that is exactly what's happening there and then she like chats up to domino because she's like well i gotta make it worthwhile that i came out there is night. no heterosexual explanation for domino and sage's banter in x-force currently okay. i would like to see <laughs> and here's the thing that we know about domino domino is very into people who are part machine yep <laughs> so sage does not have metal arms which is clearly a big domino kink yeah but she has a machine brain. Yeah. I feel like most of like the people that are attracted to Sage are like, you have a hot brain. <laughs> yeah, no, you'd have yeah. to be. Well, you'd have to be into it because yeah. she's weird. Yeah. Like, like you have to find <laughs> that attractive, right? Yeah, like, for sure. like, uh, yeah, like you're a supercomputer and that's hot. Mm-hmm. Uh, like there are lots of people who would be very threatened by that. Oh, for sure. <laughs> like. Warren likes smart women, but Sage would terrify him. Oh yeah, Sage would. You know, him. like there's, it's that kind of thing. Like it would not work, or like Wolverine would never be into Sage. No, Wolverine. I love like their weird little relationship. It's fun. Of, yeah, like, Wolverine being like, like there's a point in Extreme X Men where he's like, I, I don't do the interrogation. Sage does the interrogation. She's like, she's, <laughs> she's the terrifying. scary one. Yeah, she's the scary one that does that. I don't do that. And then again yeah. later in the Uncanny X Men run, he's like, uh, she can, you know, she's got that handled. Sage has got that. We're gonna let Sage do that. Yeah, Logan just lets her do her thing. Is like, I'm not going over there. No, and in that way, she's reminiscent of some of his relationships with women in Madripoor, who mm. are also scary. Mm-hmm. Well, actually, his relationship with Viper. Yes. And of course, Sage and Viper have a pretty incredible They really do. Moment. They have, I, I went Viper is and... a character I have a lot of trouble with because I love Viper, <laughs> yeah. but also she's a Nazi. So yeah, it's just no, like one of those you. things where you're like, no, Absolutely you're not. too evil for me to, to stand. Like, I cannot stand anyone who's like Hydra affiliated. Yeah. However, Viper is really fun. And I really love, I really love that scene. It's in Extreme where... Sage just like rocks Viper's shit and it's like pulls a knife so on her and, why and is she like because she, she tried to she tried to kill Storm. Viper tried to kill Storm, <laughs> which is a terrible thing to do if Sage is around. Yeah, it's just a bad choice. Mm-hmm. Sage knocks Viper on her ass, kicks the shit out of her, pulls a knife on her and holds it up to her throat, and is like, "You tried to hurt an X Man, and when you hurt one X Man, you hurt us all because we're a family." And you know that as Sage is saying this, she like. It's all she wants is for that to be true. Uh huh. But it's never been true for her. Like she's manifesting it as she says it. She's like, I'm an X Man. I'm part of this family. Yeah. And I'm going to kill you, which is like not the X Men's way, but it's like, it's like, like, this is my family and I'm one of them. And if you hurt them, I will Mm. murder you brutally. (laughs) Which is like, if the rest of them could hear, they'd be like, that's not really how we, well, okay, sure. 
but the thing is too is that the detail the detail of like not only does she like knock the shit out of her she like knocks her to the ground straddles her straddles her and pins her with her heels Yep. And then yep. Yep. sticks a knife up to her face, gets real close, and just like pushes it in a little to draw a little blood. She's like, just FYI, I will gut you like a fucking fish if you ever threaten my family yeah. again. And that comes back to bite her, but like, it's fine. It sure does. <laughs> but you know what? It's fine. Yeah. That's a good one. That's a good one. That's one I, like, I, like... I like when Viper gets the living hell beaten out of her because she's a yeah. Nazi and it's fun. You know, you're like, Viper is like a fierce, fun villainess, but then you just remember you're like literally a Nazi. Yeah, so yeah, ahead, kick, kick, her, kick the shit out of her. Right. <laughs> yeah, that's a good, that is a good page. <laughs> that is a very, very satisfying page. Yeah. And it's one of those things where you're just like, Chris Claremont loves a dominatrix. We know it. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> he knows it. We all know it. But if you're going to pin someone with a stiletto, that's the way to do it. Like, it doesn't feel... It, it's ridiculous in exactly the right Chris Claremont way where you're yeah. like, you go girl, as opposed to like, this is a bit much. Like, you're just like, I love it. I love it. Do yeah. it more. Do it again. So good. Which is another reason why like she and Storm should bang because that's Storm's type is Chris Claremont's type. Mm-hmm. Right. Like Storm is Chris Claremont's type, but also is attracted to women who are Chris Claremont's type. Literally, like that is sort of his, literally the, the that's her deal. The Callisto like <laughs> Yukio like all of that. Like Sage is again one of those. Like Storm like went yeah okay. <laughs> yeah no Sage is like ambiguously ethnic mm-hmm. dominatrix with a super brain who can fight better than anyone and wears a leather cat suit. Yeah, she's in. And the thing too is that like. We talked about it earlier with like Sage is like trying to be like, I'm I made all the calculations and she just says stuff and they're like, they trust her because she's Sage. And then she right. just goes and does whatever. And like she is very logical until it comes to Storm. Like if Storm yeah. is in trouble, there are multiple times all where bets she are says, off. I have to go. And they're like, No, you don't. And she's like, I have to be there. I have to help her. She will die without me. And they're like, She's not gonna die without you, Sage. <laughs> I feel like maybe part of why she goes so off the rails in New Excalibur is because Storm isn't there. I agree. She's just kinda <laughs> like, Well, Storm well, St- also Storm got married. Oh yeah. Oh. Oh, she did. Like <laughs> Oh my god. Like this is a Storm whole goes and like I didn't think about Storm goes and marries Black Panther and then Sage loses her fucking mind. <sighs> just putting Beautiful. it out there. Yeah. <laughs> that makes a lot. That you know, it just it's just evidence. It's just, just evidence that I'm putting there. into my Storm and Sage fact file. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just I'm just just saying. I think this character is so much fun and I wish that more writers would play with her. She could be very fun. And I think like looking at like just these moments that she has with different characters, like she is kind of snarky, a little egotistical, like has her like clear preferences. (laughs) Well, I think she's a really good foil for Hank and I would like to see them talking more in this current book because Mm -hmm. right now, Listen, there's a lot of characters in that book and there was a lot of world building to do at yeah. the beginning. Yeah. But now that we're settling in a little bit and now that Jean is pulling out mm-hmm. to whatever extent, I would like to see more of Tessa sort of calling Beast on his shit. Yeah. Particularly because her approach to it would be very different from Jean's, right? <laughs> like Jean is, because Jean is like, 
uh, like my morals and say it to just be like, that's fucking stupid. Like you're mm-hmm. going to cause an international incident. Like it's oh. not about my morals. I don't have those. Oh my God. That moment. And I think it was like four or five or something where she was like, obviously it came off of like an aircraft carrier. And he was like, obviously, what do you mean? And she's like, <laughs> she's like, God, she's please like, try to keep up. To spell it out for you. Like you're supposed <laughs> to be smart. <laughs> I just love that. I love yeah. when anybody makes Hank feel inferior. Yeah. Yeah. And then he like sticks that he tries to like, he's like, get up, you got to work. And I'm like, ah, get away from her. (laughs) Like when he pops that thing on her head or whatever. When he pops that thing on her head. That's fucked up. Yeah. What are your other favorite Sage storylines? I think the Bogan stuff is really good. The Bogan stuff is really good. I like anything when Sage crosses over into Emma's world and Emma crosses over into Sage's. (laughs) Yeah. And that's, there isn't that much of it. There's, which is weird again because they have this history together. But these little windows of like, the stuff that must have gone on or like the 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 fact that they really seem to know each other very well mm-hmm. like there's parts in like part one where she's uh, part then, one of the bogans because the yeah, bogan storyline yeah. is like two different stories yeah through or so out extreme. Like one that's halfway through extreme and then one that culminates in the end of extreme um and in the middle, it's kind of they go to investigate her and Bishop go to investigate um, this murder that has happened. And they think it has to do with a mutant. And Sage goes to investigate it and like find out like these people are like we're frozen naked in the snow. And she goes the Jeffrey to, Garrett yes. storyline. And this Jeffrey Garrett is a student at the mansion. Um, and she goes to investigate it. And she's like she comes out like visibly shaken from like investigating. And Bishop is like, hey what's up you don't do that's weird you don't usually do that (laughs) she's like i will i will tell you all about it when we are 20 miles from here like yeah we need to get out yeah and it starts to dig up all this stuff about elias bogan and there's this guy who was you know at the hillfire club and he was one of the original founding members maybe and he Certainly a very important member around when Shaw staged his coup in classic X-Men 7, which is amazing. It really is. I And it is notable. I just want to mention that real quick. I love that story because it's before the retcon, but Mm -hmm. Tessa and Lourdes Chantel Mm -hmm. are the people who try to tell Shaw that he's making a mistake and he won't listen to them and Lourdes dies and... It's like Tessa could have prevented that if he would have listened to her. And it's it's an interest. It shows that even that early, Claremont was positioning Tessa in a certain way. I don't know if he ever yeah. intended this reveal, if he had kept writing through the 90s. Mm-hmm. But it does feel like she's trying to rein him in there in mm-hmm. a way that's interesting. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, we see that Bogan was this really influential guy. He wasn't like one of the Lord's Cardinal, but he was powerful enough that they needed you needed his favor to be in charge yeah and he had he was rich as hell (laughs) and he was like funding everything and shaw barters with him and this is twisted but yes (laughs) the if bogan loses shaw gets his support and his money and whatnot if shaw loses bogan gets emma yeah yes Exactly. I this I think about this whatever game this is all the time. I'm like, I need to know everything that happened. I need to know the conversations that happened beforehand, the conversations that happened. How does Emma feel about this? Emma opts in. That's yeah. what's interesting. Yeah. Is Emma's like, yeah, do it. We need his support. Because Emma's the one who stages the coup with Shaw and mm-hmm. kills Buckman and Seville. Yep. 
what's it's crazy and like but here's the thing so they and and bogan takes the bet because bogan has never lost a game of whatever because he's like psychic and yada yada yeah he's he's a vague big bad (laughs) yeah but he doesn't know about tessa and her computer mind but shaw and emma do Mm -hmm. and so essentially tessa counts the cards yeah tessa cheats and shaw wins Mm -hmm. and bogan is pissed bogan who is already an old like white man misogynist like like evil guy who who was trying to win Mm -hmm. emma as a sex slave Mm -hmm. so like this is a dark character yes he it doesn't take him long to figure out what has happened and that it was tessa who was responsible and so during the six month gap he tracks her down and kidnaps her and enslaves and tortures her and brands her face yeah with his mark yeah his mark is due to his like psychic impulse his psychic power is make you like bleed in those yeah diagonal shapes yeah and he did so much shit to her while she was there that it's permanently burned under her face like a tattoo yeah which claremont loves a psychic face tattoo like rachel has a similar thing going on with the hound (laughs) It's cool. I mean, like, I will say, as part of the retcon from Tessa to Sage, that redesign, just giving her those face tattoos, it made her very iconic. Yes. Like, because otherwise she's just another brunette in a cat suit. But Mm -hmm. you immediately know that's Sage because she has the the facial tattoos. And I think it's very interesting that she leaves them. Like, yeah, I think that choice in and of itself that she's like, sometimes she doesn't have them and they like have established sometimes she uses makeup to cover them up or whatever. But (laughs) I would that's just like it's like how Madrox has the M tattoo, but sometimes he doesn't And like it's makeup. That's I think more artists because someone (laughs) forgot to draw. But yeah, yeah, the fact that she could presumably have them removed Mm -hmm. or have something done but has left them i think it's because she failed and she knows she failed and they're a reminder of that failure and we know that she's really into those yeah yeah you know she's really she's really big on like the broody like i have to sit with all of my sins and like count them every night before i go exactly she's very she's very like angel like not warren but the david boreanaz character (laughs) yeah she is She's like, I'm sad about it. And I really liked... um, All of my sins, let me catalog them. Yeah. Yeah. And in, like, (laughs) I love the current, like, uh, an aspect of the current incarnation now where everybody just shows up to ask her, like, things they could Google. And she's really snarky with them. Yeah, she's she's like... she, Because she's she's literally like, let me Google that for you with my brain because you're annoying me right now. Yeah, and she's like, I... All of, pretty much since she came in, like, and started working with Xavier and everything, like... Her role was to like serve for so long and to not do what she wanted. And now she like finally gets out and everybody's like, hey, Sage, can I ask you a question? And she's like, go Google it. Like literally you have a laptop. Yeah. Yeah. And then I think it was an X Factor actually where like I liked what Leah was doing with her because she was very Mm -hmm. snarky. And like, I don't know how you feel about this, but I think like after all of this stuff and not dealing with it, like we've said, like. And she did some stuff at the Hellfire Club. Let's be real, everyone. Yeah. Um, that she would be kind of prone to like different substance abuse because she has a brain that she oh, cannot for sure. turn off. Like in those. I think it's notable that when we see her off duty, she's at the bar. She's at the bar, and like even when she shows up to um, the Boneyard and everything, like she has a yeah. drink in her hand yeah. all the time. Yeah, and, like, and I think that that's interesting because like I wouldn't want it to just become like 
I don't know that it's alcoholism in a way that you would have to like deal with. I don't think it's necessarily like addiction, but I do think that she abuses probably alcohol to some extent in order to dull her her senses and her thought processes because there's a lot going on all the time. And that would be very difficult. The thing with Bogan is interesting because like, what happens to her when he captures her and tortures her is presumably what would have happened to Emma that Tessa prevented from happening to Emma. Right. So yeah, it's a exactly. lot like, it's a lot again, like the Tessa Jean dyad where it's like, I'm the one who these things happen to. Yeah, like not, I, took, I took that bullet for you. I took the much. bullet. Right. And the only time someone else has taken the bullet is dark Phoenix. Mm-hmm. And that's the one thing she feels bad about. Like yeah. she, that's the failure. Right. Yes. Yeah. But otherwise it's like like I fucked Shaw for years so that you didn't have to mm-hmm. because Xavier needed one of us to and he was never going to have you do it cuz mm-hmm. you were his darling precious girl and mm-hmm. I was his weapon. Yeah. And with Emma it's like I saved you from Bogan but I'm the one who he got his vengeance on and carved into my body. Yeah. And I think she, I think whether she wants, she wants to like admit that or not, she is pissed. She resents them, whether, whether or not she, whether or not it's, because it's not logical to resent them. Yes. And she wants to be logical, but she, she clearly does. And she wants to like be a hero. She wants to be a better person. She wants to be better than this, but she wants to be Marvel girl, but she isn't. She can't be. Yeah. And. It, it, she knows she can't be she knows whereas Jean's mm-hmm. thing is always that Jean no matter how many terrible things Jean does yeah. is always convinced of her own heroism yeah Sage is always convinced that she's dirty yeah that yeah. she's an unclean bad thing and she's trying to atone a lot always <laughs> as opposed to Jean who frankly usually doesn't give a shit about atoning yeah and then emma so emma and sage come up at or the same emma time. whose emma's whole deal is like well listen i was on a lot of drugs and i feel bad but like let's move on the thing that i really like is in that story where she rejoins shaw apparently and then betrays him and it's mm-hmm. like you named me tessa that whole story she does it so that she can position roberto mm-hmm. at the she head of the hellfire club yeah <laughs> I like that part. <laughs> and Roberto's defense when Storm and Bishop are like, what the hell's going on here? Like the Hellfire Club's evil. Mm-hmm. Roberto is like, Emma Frost used to be the White Queen and now she's the headmistress at Xavier's. Well, this is the thing. Is that And Emma... you know, but you know Tessa fed him that. Oh, yeah. Oh, That's my not God. his. That wasn't his <laughs> thought. That was Tessa's thought. Because Tessa's like, what, Emma's fine? That's the thing is that she it comes into this team and she's like, I'm going to be an X-Man. I'm going to be, I can finally get to be an X-Man and I finally get to be a hero and I don't have to do all this stuff anymore. And guys, and like, I was on your side the whole time, yeah. secretly. And then Emma comes on and she's like, hey, I'm headmistress now. And By the way, I absolutely <laughs> was evil. I wasn't on your side at all. And Sage like walks in and she's like, are you fucking kidding me? I was good this whole time doing stuff for the greater good. Like I did whatever I had to. I fucked Shaw because it was assigned, <laughs> not because I wanted to. <laughs> she did it because she wanted to. It was homework. Like, yeah. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> Xavier is such a fuck. <laughs> He's such an asshole. Um, but yeah, so she like comes in and she walks into the mansion and Emma is walking around like she owns the place. And she's like, what do you mean that you're calling me like hellfire bitch 
and I wasn't even there of my own accord. And no, like I was a spy. You let her have all of like she is she is associated with you guys. She is like you call her X Man before you call me X Man, and yeah. that's like wild to her. And like because it, it's like I'm actually it's an O six yeah. babies, and I'm <laughs> one of them. Yeah. You don't like, want to acknowledge it, but it's true. And that's the thing is like she probably thinks of herself as one of the original X Men, as a the, peer of yeah, absolutely. I think she does. Do not they? But they don't think of her, her that way. That yeah. kills her inside. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Whether she wants to admit it or not. Well, and that's why I want her to really snap at Hank at one point. Oh, I want her to say, "I was an X Man before you were." Yep. So shut the fuck up. <laughs> Oh, it would be so sweet. I hope it would be so good. And he'll be, and and then he, because he's an odious guy, would be like, "You were never an X Man, Tessa, or something like that." Like you were, you were, you know, Charles didn't make you an X Man, and there was a reason he didn't do that. Like you know, whatever or whatever. And they would. I just now that Jean is not in the mix as much, Mm -hmm. although who knows? But it, it seems right now like she's removing herself from the situation. I would love for Tessa to move into the role of. Hanks foil Hanks because I don't think Cecilia Reyes will do it no (laughs) it's not her personality you know what I mean like she's not she's a Cecilia is a forceful person but Mm -hmm. she's not someone who's gonna like argue in that way I don't think and Jean says that too like in that hot tub scene we all remember Mm, Um, yes Logan is like, well, if you're gone, who's going to be like the moral compass? And Jean is like, well, Sage is. And Logan's like, LOL. Because, like, <laughs> and he's like, he's, like, he's like, oh, you weren't one of the extreme X-Men. I forgot. Yeah. And then she's like, like, and this is, I think, the rela- the evolution of these relationships and these kind of like things that we see or don't see of like gene maybe gene like there probably was a conversation that we didn't get to see which i would have loved to have seen of Mm -hmm. gene and tessa like talking about it and her like them having like a moment of being like i see you i respect you i like you know shit happened in our past we both did a bunch of stuff yeah at Um, this point they must have talked about it right we just haven't seen that and like because she's been give us a flashback give us a flashback she's been inside her 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 big old brain and like she knows that this is just like a person who is a little bit broken and like needs to go she needs a nap therapy and a friend like that's yeah well i think that she and gene are interesting foils in the same way that gene and emma are interesting foils it just hasn't been explored as much because sage is a character who hasn't been as as embraced by other writers yes for sure you know i don't think like sage and emma i don't think their relationship started out mean and hostile no i think that you know, they were well, like, I think Emma is pissed that she didn't know Tessa was a spy. I think if I'm Emma, too. that would oh, annoy yeah. the shit out of if me. If she didn't know, absolutely. Emma if didn't she, know. She yeah. can't have. Yeah. Unless unless we go back and do some flashback stuff. Well, right. Unless <laughs> we work out a retcon, there's no way Emma could have exactly. known. Exactly. Exactly. And that that would piss her off. That um, would make Emma so mad. Yeah. Because she didn't have all the cards. Right. <laughs> Emma Sage, hates when she's outplayed. It's like her least favorite thing in the yeah, world. Yeah. yeah. And, and like they, like I said, going back to like the, in this storyline, it goes back and it shows kind of like these two women know each other very, very well to the point that Sage knows that Emma would keep a set of her sunglasses 
as a prize that Sage could then spy through that Emma is using to try and access Correct. other stuff through Sage. And they all make these little comments out of one another. Now, some of them can be written off as like, Claremont doesn't like Emma. And we all know well, that's, that's, that's the bigger, the bigger problem with yeah. a- a- assessing how any of these women speak to yes. Emma after Claremont's <sighs> return post Morrison is that Claremont hates heroic Emma. Yeah. And he's Which, very clear about that. Yeah. And, hated the Emma Scott thing. I know. It's- and has every other female character talk shit about Emma and to Emma relentlessly mm-hmm. whenever he can. Yeah. And I love Chris Claremont, but that yeah. is the that is the thing about his post-91 work that I hate because yeah, I am obviously same. a huge fan of Heroic Emma, as are you. Yeah. And I also just think that it's out of character most of the time when the yes. women do it. It's yes. out of character for Betsy to be so aggressive with Emma. They barely <laughs> yeah. know each other. They and like... Betsy also would never be that, like if Betsy was going to be shady, it would be shade. It wouldn't yeah. be that direct and clumsy uh, and insult. Mm-hmm. And like Rachel, it's part of my general problem with like Rachel Gray. Oh yeah. Is like that she doesn't feel like Rachel Summers to me. And part of it is that she feels very young. And part of that is that she's very, very childish about Emma. Yeah, and it feels really weird and out of place a lot. In of a the way time. that she especially because she was really upset about Madeline in the eighties, Rachel. Yeah. When she comes back and her mom's dead, mm-hmm. she was never born, and Scott has a different wife and a child. She's very upset, as is natural. <laughs> yeah. But she's not upset at Madeline. No. It just doesn't track for me. It doesn't. And it honestly like feels like Rachel in a lot of those uncanny X-Men stories feels it. I don't count them as Rachel stories because they don't. Me neither. It doesn't feel feel... like her. I just, I have to, I have to kind of gloss over them in my head because I feel like they, it actually took a long time for Rachel to feel like Rachel again because those stories. Yeah. They really malformed the character so much. Yeah. Well, also just the idea of Rachel wearing a little Marvel Girl costume. It doesn't make sense. (laughs) I've been rereading the classic Excalibur run because the omnibus just came out. And Rachel, if there's one thing, like Rachel will wear a skirt. But if there's one thing Rachel will stress, it's that she is uncomfortable dressing femme. Yes. Like if she's going to wear a skirt or a dress, it's like a very hard femme look. Mm -hmm. She's always in a more butch presentation. That's how she's comfortable because... She is the most iconic baby dyke ever in comics. Love that. I love her little like sticky uppies. <laughs> I was very I love happy her weird I mullet. Yeah. I want them to bring back the mullet is back on trend. Like she yeah. could have that haircut again. She could do it. And I'm I'm I pers- I personally am ready to bring that back for her. <laughs> I know I gave her like a shaved like mullet mohawk thing, but I'd like Yeah, but yeah. whenever they hire you to do a variant cover, you should I'll have get, I'll make it happen. <laughs> Rachel's mullet just be flourishing. I love it. And she should get to have that. I love her little like, yeah, rat tail type thing. <laughs> uh, it's wild. I love it as a contrast to, and Kate finally has them back, but the like curls. Kitty's hair was just yes. this giant mass of curls and Rachel's hair was so slicked back and mm-hmm. controlled. Yeah. And I think that that, and similarly, I just talked about this last week on the Megan episode, but there's a lot of Megan Rachel parallelism in mm. Excalibur and Megan's hair is obviously so huge and free yeah. and flowing. And yeah. that's partially about like Megan is this open character who's never restrained. Whereas Rachel is constantly restraining herself because like she's Rachel the Phoenix. and Sage could have like, like when I think about characters that could just like sit around and just like 
sit and have a drink and just be like, yeah, that was fucked up. Well, they <laughs> should know? talk about Celine. They should talk about Celine. I was reading that last night, too, because that's a wild time. Yeah. And then Celine in the in the 90s, mm-hmm. Celine like enlists Tessa because this is where the Madeline of it all happens. Ugh. I mean, like, I'm not crazy about X-Man generally, but Mario clock. Maddie is like amnesiac and Celine is manipulating her into her apprentice mm-hmm. and presents her as the black rook. And Shaw is really taken with Madeline and Madeline and Shaw start sleeping together. <laughs> yeah, oh my God. <laughs> and Tess is like, uh, I'm get like, they start appearing at functions as a couple. And Tess is like, this isn't good for me. Yeah. And yep. then Celine jumps in her head, her and Fitzroy. It's like what a what a what a crew. Oh god! But she's like she jumps into the. It's like Celine telepathically reaches out to both of them at the gala and is like, "We need to get them separated immediately. Like we need to make this stop mm-hmm. because, first of all, it's threatening everything we want to build because he's listening to her and not us. But also, she's my apprentice, and I don't appreciate Sebastian dominating her time. <laughs> like he's monopolizing <laughs> her time. Yeah. Yep. But the other thing that happens with Sage and Madeline is that Sage, well, it's Tessa then, just before the retcon, but Mm -hmm. Tessa, for whatever reason, and this ties in well with the retcon about her past, Tessa has a lot of sympathy for Madeline Mm -hmm. and for what she knows Madeline has gone through. I also imagine that there's like lingering gene stuff there, right? And so she kind of digs into Madeline's mind a little bit. Mm-hmm. And accidentally, she goes poking around, <laughs> and she accidentally unlocks all of Madeline's memories. <laughs> yeah, she opens, which a box sends she Madeline close. way off the deep end. Yeah, <laughs> and it's just sort of like, well, okay, mission accomplished. She and Shaw are probably not going <laughs> to. <laughs> she slowly just backs out of the room. She's, she's like, like Oops, okay, bye. Uh, I did not, and and Madeline almost kills her. Yeah, yeah, because she's a big so part. she's like, how could you do this to me? Like, cause all of the trauma that she's suppressed since her rebirth comes rushing back. And and she like grabs Sage and uh, grabs Tessa and almost kills her because like, she's so angry and then she controls herself and like lets Mm -hmm. Tessa go. But then she sure kills Threnody. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of, I, 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 yeah, God, X-Men's a mixed bag, but (laughs) (laughs) that's saying something. (laughs) Well, I mean, yeah, there's yeah. also the part where, like, Maddie makes out with Nate, who is, of course, biologically her child, so right? Much. So, like, that's... It's so much. Dark. I choose to <laughs> interpret that as she was... Because Nate is the one who reconstructs her from her essence yeah. using, like, his psychic powers, that she feels drawn to him, and he has all these mommy issues, and so, like, I think that was his influence rather than something she wanted to do in her... I don't know. If I ever get a chance to address <laughs> that on page, I will. Great. Because it's weird. It is. It's a weird time. It's a weird time. The 90s were strange. Yeah. Um, a lot of stuff happened then. But yeah, but that's a good that's a good Tessa moment also. There's also the weird arc where... Like Shaw is out at the club and so she leaves the club and goes with him and it seems like they're like partners for a minute there. Like they're wearing like the same outfit. Oh yeah. It's weird. It's a weird time. With Hol- the, the story with Holocaust it or Nemesis, whatever really he's called at that time. It really doesn't make a whole lot of sense. I try. <laughs> no, and it's like never addressed again. So it's fine. But what yeah. one thing that is cool is because in the age of apocalypse, all of the telepaths got killed off. Mm. Holocaust has no resistance to telepathy, so Tessa just like Obliterate. rocks him. <laughs> yeah, 
Shaw's like, I need someone to control this being. And she's just like, well, for whatever reason, he's really bad at resisting telepathy. So <laughs> I have this one thing to offer. Are there any other favorite stories you'd like to talk about? We've kind of skipped over New Excalibur, New Exiles, but that's because honestly, um, those are the worst stage stories. They just yeah, are. The things that like I I <laughs> I have to assume that like Roma's cosmic knowledge is no longer in her brain, right? Well, We're just here's gonna the thing is that she gets absorbed into the crystal palace, becomes the, like this but ethereal. Don't like, worry about it. Like this, that's clearly not a thing anymore. Yeah, omnipresent being and goes on existing. And then the next time she shows up, and we're told it's six one six sage. Like, yeah, in the new extreme. In the like new the, extreme, yeah, which like, is great, by the way. Because Dazzler, who was on the team with her on New Excalibur, on new Excalibur. says, "Hey, it's Sage. I know you." And she right. goes, "Hey, it's Dazzler." Oh, you're my Dazzler. You're my Sage. Like it's established. Yeah. 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 Like, and then it's like. But she's been traveling the multiverse, so clearly she just detached sword? herself from the palace. Like, and, well, but sword? it's not our sword. It's, it's an alternate sword. sword. She somehow got to another dimension. Dimension. Entirely. Yeah. And just. But was, that like, makes sense if you're at some yeah. kind of. I mean, it's like because it's not the Starlight Citadel, but it's a similar location. Exiles is kind of a problematic. Yeah, that's cosmological thing. thing. That she has all this like weird overlap with the unnamed courtney ross and yeah with sat your nine yeah with presumably, presumably unclear like that she like i feel like i want to know what she's thinking during ten of swords being like hmm hmm, <laughs> hmm i've experienced a lot of these people <laughs> yeah i know a lot of these but, well because she met saturn she met that saturn nine mm-hmm. and die by the sword also yeah, she did and like if we're saying that like roma put all of the knowledge in sage's brain well like, right i think that that has to be gone i think that whatever be. like that I, I, at the very least like I, I imagine that when she left the crystal palace yeah. she lost that yeah no because especially because like roma came back <laughs> yeah <laughs> so i feel like whenever roma came back she just like slurped all of that back up yeah she was like you're fine now and she just sets her loose like and that was a big multiverse. don't worry about it because yeah. roma just popped back up like nothing yeah. had happened yeah. so because what ended up oh we were talking about um what it basically happens that what we go in to die by the sword with is like sage got overtaken by a personality that she created and she killed a bunch of people and oh she- yeah she like beheaded um, an alternate Cyclops on live television, like with her sword. <laughs> yeah, well, I do love her fighting the evil original X Men because yeah. that's got to be psychologically interesting for her, right? That really does. It's not really explored, but it's interesting. But it's interesting. Why don't we shift to reader questions? Yeah, because we'll, you know, they're always a jumping-off point. Let's go. Michael Painter writes, Hello, Cerebro. Keep up the good work with such a great podcast, analyzing all things X, including characters' intersectionality. I want to be clear that what I write is more observational, so it's okay to criticize. It's just comics. (laughs) About Tessa. Since Claremont gave her such attention on his second run in Xtreme and Exiles, I must ask, because as I particularly enjoyed your episode with Jay Edidin and him seeing Cyclops as being coded as neurodivergent and on the spectrum, is there subtext to also believe that Sage is on the spectrum? She was recontextualized at the tail end of Claremont's second uncanny run as a mutant whose memory is that of a supercomputer, has data analysis, and has algorithmic powers. To me, the memory powers remind me of the very small percent of those in the spectrum who are savants. Now, Morris had also gave the indication her powers were like a supercomputer at Murder at the Mansion. Recently in X-Wars 9, Percy showed Sage joining in on the Tiki Bar fight, which to me shows a character who's trying to read the cues of others, but having difficulties with reading social cues can be difficult for those on the spectrum. Sorry for the long question. Thanks again. I hope you and your guest have fun talking all aspects of one of my top X characters, Sage. So this is a reading I've seen a lot, and Mm -hmm. I am not autistic, so I 
basically like if there are autistic readers who want to read her that way and think it's cool then Mm -hmm. power to you yeah i am hesitant just because it is such a stereotype yes of autistic people that like their brains are like computers and as i've mentioned i have autistic people in my family and like their brains are not computers you know like it's not (laughs) like they're smart as hell but i don't know if that's related um you know i just think that it would be very on the nose for the the mutant with the computer brain to be autistic personally that's just my vibe i also think that she actually is very good at reading social cues. So do I. I always read her And that that's way. my, that's more my, Yeah. that's more why I would say I don't think so. Because part of her utility to Xavier was that she's very, very good at reading social cues and reading people's intentions. Well, and yeah. that was why she was a valuable asset at the Hellfire Club. She would have to be at the Hellfire Club. She Cuz otherwise she wouldn't have been used, like work. she wouldn't have been able to do the job, right? Yeah, it wouldn't work and she would have been found out, you know, possibly pretty quickly. If yeah. she wasn't able to manipulate and read and predict and like do these Yeah, she things. has to be really socially <laughs> yeah. savvy in that yeah. way or it wouldn't have worked. So I yeah. I don't see it, but this is like the mystique question about like is should we read mystique as a trans character like my position was i think that sounds cool i'm cis like trans people feel free to write in with your thoughts like i you know i'm not i don't feel like i can be authoritative on it but my read on it is i think that sage's social skills are actually quite high level and that that's part of her character that's important and i also think that the computer brain savant thing is a little bit of a stereotype so Mm -hmm. that would be my take obviously there are people on the spectrum who are very socially skilled also so i'm not trying to suggest that like because it's a spectrum there's a lot of different ways (laughs) to be autistic right so overruling (laughs) exactly but that's just that's my read on that yeah yeah for sure Stephen Bolt writes, hello, Connor and guest. Once again, thank you for this amazing podcast. It's truly a delight to hear you talk so passionately and insightfully about the X-Men and their drama-filled histories. Well, thank you. I have a question that's not specifically about Sage, but is Sage adjacent? So I felt like it would be a good opportunity <laughs> to ask. Given that Sage was retconned to have been working with Xavier from the early days, what prestige do you think comes with being one of the original five X-Men in-universe? It seems like the only ones with that prestige are Scott and Jean. Do you think the original five teaming up again would be as big a deal in-universe as marketing would try to make it to readers? Do you think Bobby would be having to deal with a bunch of starfuckers or whatever the Krakoan version of Scruff is because of his status as one of the original five? And if there is that in-universe prestige, do you think Sage should deserve a little of it too? Well, yes, obviously she should. (laughs) She shouldn't. She wants it, but no one's going to give it to her. No one's going to give it to her, though. That's the thing. I think that we are seeing that within mutant culture, there is something of a reverence for, I would say, the early X-Men, meaning the original five and the second Genesis team from Giant Size. Havoc and Polaris, not so much. (laughs) I think they are kind of... I love Lorna. I am a huge Lorna stan. She's one of my top five favorite X-Men. Yeah. And she is next week's episode Woo! with Corey McCreary. So I'm oh, very excited about Corey's that. Corey's coming. Oh, good. Corey's coming. It's going to be good. <laughs> so send your questions on Polaris now if you have them to cerebrocast at gmail.com. But I think that Havoc and Polaris in part because of the 90s X factor of it all, where they were kind of like government sellouts. to some people you know what i'm saying like it's a little also because they retired for so long in the 70s i don't think they get the same level of it but it seems clear especially now that krakoa has like made 
the history of the X-Men into sort of a national lore, right? It's like mm-hmm. the matter of Krakoa is yeah. the X-Men, the way that the Knights of the Round Table are the matter of Britain. Yeah. I think that it's very clear that Scott, Jean, Storm, Kurt, Logan, Hank, Warren, Bobby a little less just because Bobby has never... Bobby doesn't work hard enough at making himself <laughs> impressive. You know what I mean? Like he's yeah. not, he doesn't, he doesn't do that. Yeah. The others are more invested in like building their own myth kind for of. For different reasons. Yeah, yeah. Each of them for different reasons. Like I don't think yeah. Storm does it. Like Storm doesn't do it out of arrogance. She no. just does it naturally. Right. Like, yeah. cause she is this larger than life Storm figure. Storm walks into the room and you like feel a You notice, right? Yeah. yeah. Whereas like Warren does it because it's part of his role as mm-hmm. like a spokesman for mutant kind, as a businessman, yep. you know, et cetera. As the first X-Man who came out publicly with his secret identity. Yeah. There's things like that. Scott and Jean are obviously they're just sort of iconic to everyone. Yeah, everybody knows Scott and Jean. <laughs> but like, much like Bobby, yeah. Colossus, I don't think, has that kind of cachet. Yeah. Because yeah. he's been so withdrawn for so long. Yeah. Nightcrawler has it because he's like a spiritual leader among mutants. So like, it depends. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that the original five bar Bobby... I mean, I'm sure Bobby gets it. I, I bet he does get Starfuckers. Absolutely. Probably. But, but he has like I, a really niche group. <laughs> yeah. It's like, I, I think most of the gay men who are obsessed with like trying to Starfuck the O5 are like trying to catch Warren in a mood. <laughs> that would yeah, be my guess. That's a read. Yes. It's like, I'd like to do, I'd like to do a little blow with Warren in the back of the tiki bar and mm-hmm. see what happens. That's my guess as to where yeah. that goes. Not that I'm projecting or anything. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Not like the quarantine is making me contemplate. I long for the clubs. I miss, I miss, I miss people. Um, That Tiki bar scene is also just like, oh, I want this. Like I miss, I miss a bar. I think, I think if you've ever been a part of like (laughs) the gay club scene and like that, that scene is so, yeah. Krakoa is particularly like, it's beautiful and it's great escapism right now, but it makes me miss my gay community, my queer community so much because it is like the queer community as a superhero comic in many ways. And I miss, like, I just want to be in the bar with everyone or like at the overpriced brunch outside the Abbey. Like, please. It's like, all I want. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Oh God, it's been so long. (laughs) I know. I'm just like, oh my God. Like, I want to go to Metro or Akbar, like New York, LA. I don't care. Like wherever. Just, I need like London, please. Anywhere, anywhere Mm -hmm. I can be among other fags and mm-hmm. lezzies and all of my trans pals and every bisexual butterfly and everyone <laughs> in between. Like I'm just so bereft at the moment. Yeah. yeah. Um. Anyway, that's my take on that question. <laughs> but does Sage deserve that prestige? You bet your ass she does, but she's never going to get it because she's the one skulking in the shadows. It's actually a lot like Betsy and Brian. Yeah. It's a lot like Betsy's complex about Brian and how she's the one skulking in the shadows and he was Captain Britain and this and that. But Betsy's finally getting an opportunity to be that person. I don't know that Sage is, I don't know that Sage is ever going to get to like be an X-Man. I don't, I don't, I don't not. I think the way that things have gone, there's like certain avenues that have kind of closed and that just because of like how she feels and her relationship to the x-men and it's almost too late gonna, yes and like there's 
she can find her place and I don't think she knows what that is yet. And she's kind of lost and frustrated right now. I mean, what I want is I want for Hank's arc to lead to the pit or whatever, or more, <laughs> or to him fleeing Krakoa yeah. and becoming a, a villain of some kind. Like, I, I think there are lots of interesting places you could take that arc wherever it's going. I would like to see Sage ultimately in charge of X-Force. Yeah. Because she is moral is yeah. the thing. And like insofar as a state security apparatus can be moral, I think that her balance of emotion and logic and her desire to do the right thing, mm-hmm. I think it would be cool. It would lend well and she could go into the field. And please put her in the she field. Could, please put her in the field. Well, she's in the field in, uh, she's yeah. on the cover in the solicits so in her field costume i was like, so I'm like please <laughs> and then and, and joshua kassara posted an image of her in her like with her hair down in the uh, oh, like a sketch God. and i was like Oof. yes yeah um, um oh and oh just a tidbit her glasses <laughs> yeah i hate them <laughs> oh really i only in the in the way that like most of the times that they have been designed that they have been like, you've gone to a corner gas station and picked one off of like the rack and went, these are your glasses now. I think she'd be more image conscious than that. Oh, you mean like the frames aren't yes. chic enough? Oh, I love her, like the aspect of it. But I think, the, yeah. I think mostly they're they're drawn like- I like when sunglasses. it's like the red sunglasses, like yeah. from Extreme. I'd like yeah. to bring that look back. I like I get, those better than yeah. all the other ones. <laughs> yeah. Um, Richie Tacrones writes- Connor, first off, I'd like to begin by saying how much I adore your podcast and the work you put into it. It's amazing. It's got me through so much. I can't express enough what this podcast means to me. Thank you so much from the bottom of my heart. Well, gee, uh, thank you. That's very, <laughs> that's really, really sweet. Thank you so much. He says, I was wondering what Sage's ethnicity is and what it would mean to the legacy of the original five X-Men who are all Caucasian Americans. Well, we've, we've touched on this a little bit. It hasn't been established. She's first seen in the Hindu Kush in Afghanistan. I've said this a little earlier, but I think it would be very cool if she was Iranian. And I think that her being Middle Eastern would be interesting, especially because, like you're saying, the original X-Men, who are the ones that Xavier thought were presentable and camera ready, Mm. were all white kids who were American. And this foreign Middle Eastern woman, even if she's sort of white passing or white presenting Mm -hmm. i think that would be an interesting layer to add on to her story and she could be arab she could be she could be afghan i don't really know i just feel like the afghan people i've met are a little bit less white looking than she is but you know like i just she could be any number of ethnicities from that region that i think would further complicate and make interesting her role in comparison to, for example, Jean, who is this all-American white girl from <laughs> upstate New York. Yeah. <laughs> so I think that that would be interesting. Just yeah. my two cents. Video Gwen writes, Dear Connor and guest, other than Murder at the Mansion, are there any other Sage and Bishop detective stories? I always thought they were dope-ass team and would love to see them do more together. Love the show and listen every week at my boring job. Thank you for <laughs> leaving my letter. From your fan, Video Gwen. So uh, there is the Jeffrey Garrett storyline that connects Mm -hmm. to Bogan in Extreme. Essentially, like after the Jeffrey Garrett story, those two are kind of like conjoined partners at the hip for a while. Like they go off for the rest of Extreme X-Men. They end up like getting like this, this little like new X-Men adjacent like 
costume together where they go off and like ride motorcycles together and like, yeah it's cries. super fun and i wish she did show up in district x because district yeah. x is a fun little series and bishop does a lot of police procedural stuff in that and she's mm-hmm. not in it and i feel like they were a really fun pair because yeah. she's weird yeah and like Bishop, but Bishop enjoys that she's weird. Like they, they have a good, it has kind of a Mulder and Scully-ish vibe, yes, right? Where yeah. like, it's good. It's a he good pairing. He didn't get it at first. And then once he got it, he like Once he gets it, it out, she, he he's like, like oh, wow, you're an invaluable resource, right? Like it's like, that kind of. You're a little bit funky and you like do all the math so I don't have to. <laughs> right. And you exactly. like doing that. And she's like, yeah. And then once he starts like getting her, her jokes, cause she does make jokes. Like, yeah, she's once, funny. Once he but you have to realize it, she's joking, right? Yeah. And then there's that whole time, like this funky little moment in the terrible story that is God Loves Man Kills too. Um <laughs> where like she like smiles and stuff and he's like, What are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> it's hilarious. And then he's like figure then he like later in Extreme X-Men, he starts to pick up on stuff that like isn't sage like because he knows her well enough now to be like that's not you what's going on yeah i dig it and he like mourns her a little bit like when she at the after the whole hellfire thing and the uncanny thing happens like she goes off and ends up showing up in new excalibur and all that stuff yeah he's like he like puts on her glasses he's like where are you what are you doing (laughs) (laughs) yeah i'd like more of them together i think it would be fun and the marauders and x-force do work together we've seen that so yeah i i mean i would like to see more of bishop generally on marauders like i think now that the shaw plot with emma and kate has reached something of a climax. I'm hoping we'll get more <laughs> of him. Uh, what a time. Um, and I would love to see them coordinating because they do have a history together that's really fun. Yeah. And again, it's like, put her in the field. Put her in the field. Because then they'll have reason to work together again. Yeah. And like, let her, let her have those moments of being like, hey, you're a friend that I haven't seen in a really long right, time. Right. Like, she has friends. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. And, and like, Bishop was, yeah, Bishop was evil. And then he was lost in the time stream. And then he was the demon bear. And then don't worry about it. But I'm just saying, like, it's been a minute. Yeah. And they, they can also have the time where they're like, woof, well, in that minute, like, we weren't together and we don't know what's happening. Like, Also, Bishop's been, thrust, Bishop's been thrust into the hellfire of it all, which yeah. he has no experience with. And Tessa would be able to give him some insight exactly. on that. Exactly. Uh, the whole the whole thing that, like, Tessa isn't involved in, like, the hellfire stuff when she literally is a little weird, yeah. the ins and outs. Like, I think it would have just been polite for them to invite her to kick Shaw <laughs> once. <laughs> Yeah, like, she should have been invited like, to the to the Shaw party. Yeah, like I think. a little text, like, "Hey, I know we don't talk that much." Like, Kate, you know, Emma's just like, "Listen, darling, I know we're not that close, but I'm yeah. going to kick the shit out of Sebastian tomorrow. Would you like to come?" Yeah, you can't tell anybody, but I know you're good at keeping she'd secrets. Be in, she'd be like, "X O M," you know, <laughs> like it would be good. Yeah, and the thing too, Kate, Kate actually gets her the quickest and the most in the end of that extreme run. Yeah, where she's talking to rogue while sage goes off and like does her sage stuff um <laughs> where she's talking to rogue and rogue is like i don't understand it like do you trust her and she's like of course i trust her like aurora brought sage in and i trust aurora and with my life right yeah. yeah and sage and like it actually elicits an honest to god emotional reaction in sage which is very very hard to do where kate is talking and says like she knows that she is committed to us 
but she can't figure out how committed we are to her and it's unconditional and that like drives her bananas and sage actually there is on this panel she like wipes away tears and says focus your concentration on the mission like right she's like we're not going to talk about it but you're absolutely wow nailed me caught yeah called her out right away and also here's your ex back who has maybe been, you know. Yeah, here's Rachel, by, by the way. Yeah. You handle that, maybe. Yeah, yeah. Favors all around. <laughs> yeah, it's good. It's good. I'd just like to see to see more of it. I mean, I'm just yeah, glad to see too. her, like, doing stuff again after the weird New Exiles twists and turns that made me feel like she was just being written out, basically. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. But I would like to see more. I think she's a character with so much potential. John X writes... Hi, Connor, an honored guest. The show has helped me understand so much of X-Men history. I've not read much of some eras like the 90s and 10s, so this is filling in those gaps nicely. I'm very grateful for that. Also, how cool is it that you can share this passion with your dad? It's very cool, as I'm sure Valentine can similarly Mm -hmm. attest. That's a fun thing about this. Although I haven't read much of Sage, I'm fascinated by the idea of Moira influencing Xavier's choice of her as a secret agent to the Hellfire Club. How do you think this will affect her and Charles' relationship once Moira X is revealed? Thanks, John. That's interesting. That would be interesting. I'm generally interested to know more about Moira's role in some of Charles's darker dealings. Yeah. The way Hickman's going to write it, because what I'm most interested in is not the Tessa of it all, but however Hickman is going to galaxy brain explain deadly Genesis. (laughs) Yeah. Has got to be fascinating. So that's the one I'm really looking out for. As for Tessa, I think that even if Moira was like, what if you send her to the Hillfire Club? I don't think that like it's gonna make Tessa feel any less weird about Charles Xavier, who yeah. essentially sex trafficked her to a crime lord. Yeah, and told her it was a really important mission, but she was never allowed to be a hero like his other students. That's the thing. At the end of the day, like she is dealing with all this stuff that he just he she believed him. She like honest to God believed the dream. Like, and that's the worst part. And I think that she knows about herself is that she believed this. And then she finds out like, it's, you know, she was expendable. Right. (laughs) And that she wasn't that important. And she comes back and she thinks that maybe she's going to have this different life than she does. And like, no one cares. Yeah. Like she did. So no one even really acknowledges the suffering she went through for so many Mm -hmm. years on their behalf without them even knowing about it. Yeah. And she like internalizes all of that and it makes her a little bit cold to people who like have never met her before, but like. But she sees them as X-Men and it's her relationship to that concept is fraught. Mm -hmm. Yep. But all she wants is to be one as she sort of illustrates in the scene where she kicks the shit out of Viper. Yeah. It's like, I'm an X-Man. And it's like, you can tell it's kind of the first time she's ever felt or believed that. Yeah. Zach Wilson writes, Dear Connor and your esteemed, illustrious, and comparable guest, I know you get this all the time, but I love the podcast. Awesome, insightful stuff. Also, of course, wonderfully queer. I really appreciate all of your hard work (laughs) week to week. Well, thank you. Sage was in one of the first comics I ever bought, Claremont's early 2000s Uncanny Run after Morrison. And after X-Men Evolution being my first exposure to the X-Men, boy, was I confused. I remember a a Celine versus Rachel confrontation, a cool white outfit, and maybe some Donald Pierce stuff. Yeah, that's the run I was talking about, how we are not crazy about it. It is very confusing. 
I've always loved Sage, but I've seen some chatter as well as heard on Jay and Miles, who are also amazing, as you know, that Sage is really not nearly as well-loved as I might have thought. What do you think Sage could do to have a wider appeal as a character? Also, has Sage had any romantic relationships? I can't recall any. Do you think it would be cool for her to come out as asexual or mention it casually on panel? Or would that be playing into the stereotype of ace characters being super analytical, computer-like, and emotionless, even though Sage really isn't, despite how she acts most of the time? Thanks again for all the hard work you do. Really appreciate it. Have an excellent day. Sorry, I couldn't resist. Zach. Love it. To address that second question first, this is another one where I'm just like, I am, if anything, oversexed. So I'm not the person to ask about. And I'm bi as fuck. So I think that everyone is bi. <laughs> right. Like, so we're not necessarily the right people to yeah. ask. But I don't think Sage is asexual. I think Sage has a very complicated relationship to her sexuality, though, because she was tasked as a teenager by Xavier with using it as a weapon yep. and was Shaw's lover as part of a job for years. Yeah. So I think that she's traumatized. And then like after what happened with Bogan, mm-hmm. I mean, we haven't said it, but like, I, I mean, I think he rapes her. I think he, he does whatever he can to her. And I think he makes her like, I'd I'd be really interested not in to like explore the trauma of it all, but to like if there was like what if he made like sh- he has a computer mind at his disposal that he is torturing yeah. and making like what did he make her do like what did he did he make her make super weapons did he make her make like you know that we don't know it's all part and parcel but the panel yeah. of her under his control where mm-hmm. he's like marking her face is yeah. very sexualized it is and she's tied to a chair yeah it's like very so. I see her less as an asexual character and more as a character processing a lot of sexual trauma. And I don't think that's really been explored. And I think it could be interesting. I don't know that X-Force is the right book to do that in. Yeah. But it would be interesting to to delve into that, in my opinion. I think X-Men across the board need more diversity, like, in every single way. (laughs) Yeah. But, like, you know. (laughs) And, like, you know... Cass Morris mentioned on the Rogue episode, like Kelly Thompson finally addressed Rogue's sexual assault in Genosha mm-hmm. in the 80s, which is a really important moment for Rogue that had yeah. then sort of been glossed over. I think similarly, what Sage went through with Shaw, which was not violent per se, but she did have to be his servant in a mm-hmm. BDSM club yeah. for her mission and then what happened with bogan which definitely feels like it was sexually violent in addition to all the other violence that he imposed upon her i just think that that's something it could be interesting to explore yeah Um, i mean and i love those early 90s x-factor doc samson issues so like i'm a sucker for heroes in therapy i would love to read (laughs) that kind of shit personally uh as for why sage is not that well loved i think that we've talked about that a little bit in part it's because she was Seen as a Mary Sue character. She was criticized for being a deus ex machina because she could do anything. I really think that that's because of the jumpstart power more than anything else. And now that that's been sort of written out, I mean, it would be great to just say on page, I can't do that anymore and like give some stupid explanation for it because (laughs) it like it really that I think is a problem a lot of people have with the character. The other thing is that Claremont, she was a very clearly like a writer's pet character Mm -hmm. like she was claremont's fave and he brought her with him to all of his runs and while extreme x-men is pretty well liked overall that uncanny run is mixed in its reception and people really did not like new excalibur and new exiles 
in those stories, she kind of is the centerpiece a lot of the time. And the storylines are so weird for her. I feel like the further you go along, the more off the rails it gets. Yeah. (laughs) And now they've kind of brought her back to Extreme X-Men Basics. And I think she's... Which is like, thank you. And I feel like she's garnering more fans now. Oh, that's nice. But I, I, you know, just because I think people are like, who's this lady? She's neat. You know, and because it's, it's, it were removed enough at this point from the new Excalibur, new Exiles era that I think like, honestly, like the Diana Fox storyline really turned everybody, like everybody off, including me who like liked the character, but I was just like, this is so weird. And then like the whole becoming the Crystal Palace thing, like it was just bizarre. And yeah. I think that they're recuperating the character somewhat. Mm-hmm. One thing that could help her to have a wider appeal as a character is being the subject of an episode of Cerebro. No, I'm kidding. But also, <laughs> yeah, but people it. keep saying to me on Twitter that like when I do a character they didn't like, they're like, you made me think about this character in a whole new way. So I'm hoping that this episode will do that because I really do like this character. And I think that there's a lot of really interesting things you could do with her on Krakoa in particular. Yeah, that's so I'm hoping that she's going to get more focus as the line continues. What do you think? Valentine do you have thoughts on how she could be more accessible maybe yeah I think step one is tidying up like her actual story of like because there's Mm -hmm. a lot of things that come in and retcon and like it's the same with everybody you need to like figure out okay exactly what happened here here and here even if it's as vague as like okay she was being trained as a spy and then she was at the hellfire club and then she got captured and then she came out and like kind of having a distinct story pretty much and then like actually giving her time to process the stuff that she has been a part of or the people she has to have her own story yeah i think that part of the problem is that claremont kept tying her up with other stuff like he made her suddenly at the center of a Captain Britain story when she has yeah. nothing to do with that. And then he made her at the center of the cosmic exile stuff when mm-hmm. that doesn't really have anything to do with her as a character. And she's at her strongest in extreme because the book is really centered around the revelation. Tessa was always working with us. Yes, She's kind of fucked up about it. She and Storm <laughs> are trying to do this important thing together. Mm-hmm. And I don't and think it works if if. And I think she suffers from the fact that he wanted to take her across to these other books. Right. Because I don't think she would have gone. I think she would have stayed with the X-Men. That's the thing. She would never have left. It doesn't quite. It doesn't. There's some like character like moments where they just kind of like make it work. And it's like. Right. If you're actually. And they make it work because Claremont wanted to continue to write her no matter what he was writing. And I get that because we all have our favorites. But. And yeah, no one was like, no, I demand the right to use Sage, you know, like it wasn't right. I think ideally uh, what, you know, if I were given the reins is would be like a six part mini series where it's covering like part a story now and part a story that like references back to something that happened and kind of tie everything together. And like, I would love to read your six issue Sage mini series. I'm I'm going to put that out there. It would be a six issue Sage mini series about something that Emma and Sage have to take like team up to deal with. And that yeah. they're finally having a From conversation their past. about being in this terrible high school where they didn't have anybody. <laughs> right. Robert Secundus, who always sends great questions oh, of 
the newly rebranded Comics XF writes, Hi, Connor, an esteemed guest. I always find it interesting when a setting, plot point, or character is rooted in the particular science of a time, but that character or setting or plot survives long enough to see our understanding of that science change. The world of computers has changed radically since 2001, especially our understanding of AI and our use of the internet. How would you update Sage to match our current world? Or do you think she needs updating at all, given how basic and intuitive she has a computer brain is as a power? Bast Rob Secundus. I actually think that X-Force is doing a pretty good job with this. Mm -hmm. She has logical extensions of her power that feel more contemporary internet. I think it would be fun if she was like file sharing with people. Well, isn't it? (laughs) Like like, that would be kind of neat. Isn't it a canon thing that she can like, she can send an email with her brain. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And I think that it would be funny if like, I want a more literal, like, much like the reset button that I think is hilarious. I would love (laughs) if, like, she literally was partitioning parts of her brain for, like, different tasks. And, like, she was, like, torrenting information with her brain or, like, you know. Did you read that one X-Men Unlimited story? Which one? Okay, the one, it's, like, I don't know. It's the first one from, like, 2004. And it's a Sage story is the A story. And she is basically doing a solo heist while being on the phone with Bishop. And then, like, also playing chess. And then also, I read this when it came out and have not read it since. I completely forgot about it. I will look that up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's fantastic. And it explains, uh, it hits a lot of her character points, like, that we have talked about here, where it's, like, she does this little solo heist. Uh, What issue is that? I'll find it. um, I think it's X-Men Unlimited number one from the relaunch in 2004. It's on Marvel Unlimited. (laughs) Yeah, I'm just finding it for the listeners if they would want to check it out. Absolutely. Um, yeah, it's the 2004 volume of X-Men Unlimited, and it is issue one. Yeah. Yeah. But basically what happens is she does this little, this little, she breaks into this guy's house, and she's on the phone with Bishop, and he's like, hey, buddy, do you want to watch a movie tonight? And she's like, well, I'm kind of busy right now. And she, like, makes a joke that she's, like, stealing something from somewhere. And he's like, what are you doing? And she's like, well, I'm doing that, but I'm also playing chess, but I'm also watching this thing, and I'm also doing something else. And he's like, okay, but do you want to watch the movie, though? And she's like, well, I watched it before, so technically I don't have to. And then she's like, pretends to, like, lose service, so she doesn't have to explain (laughs) to him that she's, like, robbing someone. And it turns out she's, like, robbing someone who she had um, an altercation with in the Hellfire Club to get a photo of her and Charles Xavier back. It's just a photo. It's just sentimental value. It's a rare non-Claremont Sage story. Yeah. And it's like still during a time when Claremont was really writing the character almost exclusively. So it's an interesting, it's interesting to get another person's take on her. Yeah. I remember that story. Man, that's a good one. I'm going to go dig that up. It's really good. I had, (laughs) because when I was like really into this, like I, I did the thing that pretty much happens to everybody where you're like super into comics and then you like go to college and you don't have any money so you don't buy any comics and then like you come back into it later. (laughs) So I'm still playing catch up from that time because I had fallen out for a really long time and I'm finally getting like my feet back in and like I had tracked down this issue because I was very into Sage and then like the digital comic services all came out and I was like, oh my God, I can probably find that. (laughs) Yeah. And it's really good. And she ends up like talking to him and saying like, he's like, well, I, they, she calls him back or whatever. I don't know if it's an actual like phone conversation, but it's something similar. Right. And he's like, I thought you didn't want to watch it. And she's like, well, I, I've watched it before and I don't need to, but I'd like to like, you're my friend and I want to spend time with you. And right. that's like, 
yeah, of course she doesn't have to, but it's nice to just sit on a couch with your friend and watch a movie. <laughs> right. So that's it for reader questions. Do you have anything else you'd want to talk about with Sage and Hit before we start to wrap up? I know you wanted to talk about that story with the Fury. Yeah, the Fury thing and the Betsy thing. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bring those up now before right. we start to wrap. Sure. The thing with Betsy is that while she was at the Hellfire Club and while she wasn't able to save Jean, is she was able to save Betsy from a similar Yeah, fate. there's a flashback retcon story where yeah. like Betsy's getting in too deep while she's an agent of strike. Yeah. Cause she was like in it and her family, like they they were around in the London Hellfire Club and everything. Um and then like, yeah, so she comes back and Sage pulls her aside down in a like hallway and says, hey, I know you think you're hot shit, but you're not. And these people will eat you alive. I am not even the most powerful among them. And she like does a little telepathic zap to her. Betsy tries to read her and Tessa just redirects it like, boom, and zaps her. Yeah. Like, no, 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 no. You don't you don't do that to me. Yeah. And she says, like, get out of here. I'm I'm risking blowing my cover for you. Scurry on home. I will handle this. Don't get involved with these people. They're terrible. Yeah. <laughs> and in the timeline, this would be right after Dark Phoenix because mm -hmm. Betsy's an agent of strike in the early 80s. Yeah. So it's basically her going, okay, not going to let that happen again. Yeah. Oh, you're a powerful young telepathic woman who they might want to seduce into doing something evil. I'm going to get you out of here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. She sends her right on her merry way. And the like panel, I love <laughs> where she's just like, like, you don't, you don't do this unless you're like, mm. um, she like takes her by the chin and they're like nose to nose. <laughs> it's a very, it's a very Claremont. Oh Yeah lady oh, yeah. confrontation oh, moment yeah. and then the thing with the fury is is kind of fun if yeah. you want to so the fury is the fury from captain britain who kills superheroes etc mm -hmm. and they like go to investigate like some of it some of the uncanny team goes to investigate like there's something going awry and the fury ends up getting in through her techno glasses that she's given everyone on the team and because she's like a little bit curious and she doesn't react in time it gets into her glasses and embeds it like in her and she yeah. gets taken over by the fury. Yeah. Like, it's like, Oh, I can use you because you're like, you're a, a like a computer. You're a super right. computer. And now I can use you to take down the X-Men and it becomes that team trying to take down Sage who knows them all extremely well. <laughs> mm -hmm. So they all have to like react in the opposite to the ways they would react, which is interesting of itself. Um, like Storm has to hide in like very tight spaces and Nightcrawler has right. to fight without teleporting. They um, have to do things that Sage wouldn't know they would do. Yeah. And then she gets out of it. But of course she blames herself because of course she does. Classic um, Tessa. <laughs> and then she has that moment of like everybody being like, hey, we can help you take this down. And she's like, no. I'll do it by myself. And she takes off like her jacket and like, she does the like heroin thing of like taking off her like 50 knives and like her like guns and stuff. And like walks up to the fury because what like threat does she pose? Like right. just as a regular person. And also it's a little bit cocky because she's oh, like, yeah. I can do it, which is an aspect of her that like comes out and doesn't get explored all the time that she's like a little bit cocky because she's, She's done the math. She's the best there is. 
she can do this. And she like rips out its like main processing unit. <laughs> <laughs> And then after that, it's good. It's good. It's good. And I like it because that sort of dovetails back to Rob's question, because I think that what we've come to understand about computers more in the 20, in the 20 years since Tessa was retconned into Sage is the importance of cybersecurity and cyber warfare as like the next frontier in Mm. conflict. Mm -hmm. And so Tessa as something that can be hacked. Yeah, that's wild. Is interesting. And so yeah. that's why I really like the idea that she turns off her telepathy to create essentially a firewall. Yeah. Like, and her sort of running antivirus on herself and things like that would be interesting. Mm-hmm. Because she's, she's not going to let, she's going to do her very best to never let that like, happen again. Yeah, exactly. Like, you don't want Trojans getting into stage. <laughs> you just don't. No. Because it happens to her a lot where she gets, like, hijacked and then, like, yeah. she's like, whoops. And then she's like... She internally knows that that wasn't her, but she blames herself. Right. So, like, ah, she's a mess. I love her. <laughs> I love her, too. I really, this has been a fun chat because I, I do sometimes feel like I have to defend myself when I say I like this character because there are so many people who think of her as in that same vein as, like, Lifeguard and Slipstream, like it's like a bad era of the X-Men. Yeah. I just don't. I just don't agree. And I think that she has so much potential. I'm really glad she's back. That's the thing. Potential. Like, yeah, there's so much that you could do with all of these pieces to tell a story that like, you know. (laughs) Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Valentine, for being my guest. This was super, super, super fun. Yeah. Um, I've been wanting to do this for a while. and I'm glad that our schedules linked up. Why don't you tell the listeners where they can follow you on the web, plug, whatever you want to plug, et cetera. Sure. Um, yeah, uh, you can find me on Twitter, Instagram, um, anywhere like that as uh, Valentine MSM1TH. It's the same all places. Valentine M. Smith with a one. Yeah, basically. <laughs> um, and then, yeah, I make a lot of stuff. I draw a lot of things. I have some stuff that's going to be announced later this month just like fun little artist things like um i know it was recently announced that i'm one of the ones doing like a tarot deck um so i did one of the cards and it's like a a whole color theme so it's like a whole color scheme from like taking it through the whole rainbow like through the deck neat which is really cool um and there'll be like some more info about that later this year and then yeah just keep an eye out. I'm always drawing weird things that apparently make Claremont say, for fuck's sake. <laughs> oh, for God's sake, I is. believe was uh, was, was what he said. Perfect. Um, I love that. I love, you know, you gotta, you gotta rattle your elders a little bit, I think. Here's the thing, you know, <laughs> <laughs> I think, I think we're at a time where I can make all the X-Men look extremely bi and isn't that just liberating? <laughs> Very, very. Right? Yeah. Yeah. You can follow Cerebro on Twitter and Instagram at Cerebrocast. You can follow me on Twitter at Dream of Organon or on Instagram at Connor Goldsmith. You can find all of the episodes and some transcripts as I get them done at Cerebrocast.com, as well as a link there to the Cerebro fan community Discord server. 
please come join us. It's pretty chill and laid back and we are just vibing. <laughs> you can write in with your comments, questions, feedback to Cerebrocast at gmail.com. The email account is currently open for any questions you may have on Lorna Dane, aka Polaris, who will be the subject of the next episode. I am really looking forward to this year and thank you all so much again for the support. Until next time, everyone. Bye. X-Men, X-Men. In the 21st century, people mutants led by Magneto aim to destroy the world. <laughs>